This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day. And also, uh, Macaroon Day. Uh, I think that's a different macaroon. That's a ma- Are you sure? Macarena. It's misheard lyrics day, too. It's uh, <laughs> Macaroona. I could have sworn that was macaroons. No, I think that's a different thing. I mean, it might be. It's a, it's a Tuesday. It sounds the same. Did you? Yeah, it totally does. It's speaking complete sentences day. As well. That would be new for the show. Yeah. I don't know why we would start that. A little overrated. Seems like everybody does that. Hey, um, what'd you do for the holidays? Well, I uh, slept in. Okay. Then I worked out. Yeah. Then I fixed my kid's bike. Hey, that's a good one. And I went to a barbecue. Man. We had a good day. We mixed in some cemeteries along the way. Yeah. I climbed the Y on the mountain. Why, you ask? I asked the exact same question about halfway up. It is. Have you done that, Ben? I have. Fun, huh? It is. I've seen a tarantula on the Y. Have you really? Yeah. I didn't know they were wild here. Those that don't know what the Y is, on the side of the mountain, and the mountains are huge here in Utah, there is a huge Y. And you can climb two and a half miles. Well, it's a mile and a half up or whatever. Straight up a cliff mountain. It's horrible. 11 switchbacks. Hmm. Counted each one. Longest hour of my life. But fun. Sounds like it. You're really really selling the experience. My legs are killing. I just want to sit. What what did you learn from your experience? Uh, It was my idea, actually. And then I thought, uh, that was dumb. So your your idea, yeah, and you're complaining, yeah, like bad idea. Oh. It was fun. It was fun to be there as a family. We took our grandbaby up. I, I didn't take her up. Her father carried her. That was fun. <sighs> Here, carry an extra eight nine pounds. It was exhausting. Up with you. It's a it's quite a it's quite a climb. You need to take your family up there. No, no, it's a great experience. No, fun had by all. We'll climb to a different letter on a mountain. Yeah, so we did that. One that we graduated from. Yeah. (laughs) We did that, and then we just – we went and hung out at a cemetery. There you go. Why does every – why do everybody put – why does everybody put like a letter on the mountain here in Utah? Well, don't they do that everywhere? No. Well, there's mountains here. Yeah, that's Well, there's also mountains in Hawaii. Well, yeah, but we like to graffiti them here. (laughs) Okay. That's the answer I was looking for. Yeah, like high schools do it. It's great. We don't do it. Yeah, we do it because – and then we want to destroy the, the natural beauty of the mountain. The university here actually bought that land yeah. on the side of the mountain where that Y is. It's a great which caused some public stir because yeah. you're buying part of you know a, nature a, a mountain. But you needed it. I mean, it's it's good. It's beautiful. It's your Y. The school I went to there was a big uh, uh, kind of hubbub over uh, the fact that it was the 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 letter was sliding down the mountain. Yeah, that's a big how, deal. How are we going to shore this up? Because there's you know. Houses there, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of you know the the Y is actually concreted to the mountain. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. 
No, this the one. I don't know what what the the other one's made of. But I've seen them where they uh, what they light. They have them, uh, the whole electric yeah. setup, so yeah. they light up when the te- when your high school That's, team wins. This has lights on it. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's it's cool. But I never thought about that. It's kind of unique. A lot of places don't do it. They don't have the mountains no. as close as we do here. They find so. other ways to destroy nature. Well, they have water towers. And ha- like Hawaii, that. by the way, road to Hana. Did you hear about the car that drove off the road on the road to Hana? I did not hear about that. 200-foot cliff it drove off of. Accident. Why aren't you on top of Hawaii news? I'm Man. so sorry. You're our Hawaii need to correspondent. Get on it. we got a great show for you today. Uh, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be joining us in just a few moments to talk about all things political. I mean, I, I really want to get into Hillary today because Hillary got pilloried. She had a big week. <laughs> she, she had a, yeah. She had a big week. We'll talk about that with Joe. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump trails Hillary Clinton by just two points nationally in my my favorite poll, the NBC News Survey Monkey Poll, <laughs> released this morning. Clinton leads the presumptive Republican nominee just 47% to 45%, a wow. narrow edge just barely outside the poll's margin of error. Meanwhile, Senator Bernie Sanders boasts a 12-point lead over Trump in a hypothetical general election that will never happen. <laughs> he leads 52 to 40 percent. Good. Okay. So, in a hypothetical. In a hypothetical that yeah. will never happen. Uh, speaking of Bernie Sanders, he was a campaign rally in Oakland late Monday. Five animal rights activists jumped over the barricade, ran towards the stage, prompting two agents, Secret Service agents, to jump on the platform and push Sanders away from the mic. Security dragged the protesters uh, over to a near to a nearby Oakland City Hall, and Sanders looked more annoyed than frightened, returned to the mic, and said, <laughs> We are not easily intimidated. Sanders' Good. campaign spokesman said later that the interruption was handled professionally by the Secret Service. The group Direct Action Everywhere said one of its protesters at the event had been assaulted, mm. probably because they jumped a barricade and ran at a guy yeah. that's running for president. Yeah, not be doing that. Uh, it was a violent Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. Four people killed, 53 wounded in shootings across the city. Oh, wow. At least 60 have been shot and killed so far this month, and shootings are up more than 50% this year. Wow. People say the violence can be attributed to gangs, too many guns, and weak gun law enforcement. This is from the Chicago Tribune. On the bright side, eight fewer people were killed in Chicago this Memorial Day weekend oh, compared to last year. So they're doing better. Looking up. Count your blessings. Man. Federal officials have captured a, the suspe- a suspected murderer who was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list just two weeks ago. Philip Patrick Policaprio, who was accused of killing his pregnant girlfriend in April, was caught at the U.S.-Mexico border uh, from the FBI. It says his pattern is one of violence, and he is always armed. Mm. Uh, they went on to say he is the very definition of a continuing threat to the community. So he's off the street. Wow. Good. And uh, I found this funny. Texas road signs. It's a big thing to figure out how to go and hack these digital electronic road yeah. signs. People put funny messages up. Someone did it in Texas. It was found uh, early this morning, but that wasn't before people took pictures of it and it got out. Uh, one said, work is canceled. Just letting you know. Everyone go home. <laughs> Turn around, everybody. Work uh, was canceled. The next one said, Donald Trump is a shape-shifting lizard. So, again, a public service announcement. And the last one was Bernie for president. Interesting. All these guys turn around and go home, and then their boss is like, where are you? I saw it on the sign. The sign said work was canceled. <laughs> About three people fired today. That's not good. Oh, how fun. A tragedy at the Ohio Zoo. Yes. That is 
<sighs> this is sad. My, I mean, love or hate life or animals, it's just tragic. What happened? Oh, sorry, Ben. I thought you were reading the news. Um, Shall I recap? <laughs> yeah, recap. On Saturday, a four-year-old boy entered the Cincinnati Zoo's gorilla enclosure and... Harambi, I believe the gorilla's yeah. name was a 17-year-old, 400-pound silverback gorilla pulled the little boy. Harambi was shot and killed with two official or two zoo with zoo officials calling that a necessary step to save the child. So the gorilla was killed. The killing of the endangered gorilla triggered outrage from the public, with many asking why an adult wasn't paying enough attention to stop the boy from making his way into the enclosure. Hey, brilliant question. Okay, the gorilla still dead. Boy still in an enclosure. And then we asked the question, where were the kids' parents? Corwin, uh, who's the uh, – he's an uh, expert, animal expert and conservationalist, told CNN, people have a responsibility. We have so many examples where people don't employ common sense in a national park, trying to take pictures next to bison and <laughs> yeah. wild animals. He goes, well, guess who gets sued? The national park when things go awry. So he's like, the, zoo, true, huh? the zoo has to uh, – they went human first on this choice. Yeah, you have to do it. I mean, what other choice do you have when you think about it, right? Because, oh, that was it. He, the boy climbed over. Well, he fell in. Well, he, he climbed over a, a, a metal Fence restrainer. Fence or something, yeah. Four feet, then fell down 15 feet, and then was playing in the moat, I guess. Sat up playing in the moat. And that's when the gorilla, because everyone's screaming, the gorilla heard, noticed, and then, then the gorilla came over, was looking at the kid. I, I don't know what he was doing at first. But then they startled, they believe, the gorilla, and then the gorilla grabbed the boy and dragged the boy through the water. By his foot. Trying to move him away from these people. But they, they think they – the deal is you don't know, right? You don't know what this gorilla is going to do. Another one, it happened in New Jersey in the 80s where the gorilla went and sat down. The boy had fallen into the enclosure but was knocked out. And the gorilla went and sat right next to this boy and then I think ended up holding him. Mm-hmm. And – they knew immediately that the gorilla wasn't going to hurt the boy. And a couple experts I listened to on um, CNN believed that it, pro- the, it probably wasn't going to hurt the boy or it would have hurt the boy already. Hmm. But they just – but the gorilla was startled and it wasn't altering its behavior and they couldn't lure it away from the child. So they didn't know what to do. It's sad. But everyone can be mad. Again, this is what happens when we have wild animals next to humans, Right. So we either get rid of all the wild animals and don't put them in zoos or, I guess, watch your kids. But yeah. in, in, what was it, 20-something years, nobody has ever had an issue in this, in this cage, in where they, where, this enclosure where the, where the gorilla was. So I don't know what you do. I guess you put up better fencing. That's it. That'd you get be a step. better fence. And you know what? Let's just watch our kids. But, yeah. but it's, it's a four-year-old. A four-year-old beat the system and fell 15 feet into a moat. What do you do? It's just and sad. You watch the video and you can make an argument kind of both ways, that the kid's in danger, but at the same time, what was the gorilla doing? Right. And it's hard to tell because the videos aren't. Right. You don't get to see the whole thing because it's people's cell phones from whatever vantage yeah. point they had and there's and it was, shrubbery in the way. They said it was protecting it to a point. It's just if it were going to kill it, it would have killed it. Yeah. And a gorilla could kill you in a second. So – but it, I think the bigger thing is you don't know what. How do you get it out? How do you, how do you deal but, with it? But the zoo's always going to side with the four-year-old little boy. Yeah. And the zoo couldn't win. No. Right? Yeah. Both choices are bad. Right. (laughs) 
And but if you believe in and you know you want to honor humanity, did you see about the baby elephant rescue from a drain? No. Well, it's beautiful. Little baby elephant caught, and some good Samaritan caught in a, a baby elephant uh, caught in a storm drain in southern Sri Lanka. And there's video of them of the the little calf crying out for help, and then everybody comes around with sledgehammers and they save the little elephant. Isn't that cute? Was there a mama elephant around? Was mm-hmm. They shot. They had to shoot little things at the mama elephant to keep her away. To trank her or just push her off? Well, you know, mama elephants get mad when your baby's stuck. But it's just the cutest little awkward-looking elephant. It reminds me so much of when we pulled Ben. Do you remember when we pulled Ben out of that storm drain? Well, that's like a weekly thing, though. And he was just all naked and muddy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll put the I, video I wasn't up. completely naked. Of the elephant the, or? Yeah, of the rescue of the elephant. Oh, good. <laughs> I want to have a good news story when we have a sad news story. Yeah. You know, you got to balance it. We're, we're all about balance. Reporting. So did you watch the basketball game? Yes. Well, I listened to it on oh. the radio. I was at a cemetery. I watched some of it. Is it, un, is it uncouth, unethical? What's the word? Un... Is it inappropriate to play to throw baseballs at a cemetery? Where were you doing it? At a cemetery. Were you on top of other people's gravestones? No. Yeah, we use those as bases. Where, hmm. where were you throwing the baseballs? No, we were to the side where there were no graves, but we were there to hang out and have a picnic at Grandma's gravesite. And we brought mitts. And a lacrosse stick. Mm. And we had a great time. People were looking at us like Maybe visit, we're desecrating. visit the graveside and then go to a park. Yeah, except we wanted more time with Grandma. And Grandma would have wanted it this way. That was more efficient. I'll give you that. Yeah. It was actually only a few people looked at us. And then another family pulled up and then they pulled out their mitts. And then all of a sudden there was Next a game. you know, we had a ball game. All to remember our ancestors. And then someone flipped a bat and then someone put a ball in someone's ear. <laughs> Next thing you know, somebody got put, got punched out at second base. And it's just like baseball on TV. But then we were listening to the game and close game. Holy cow. Could have gone either way. Mm. Well, I mean, they you know, they got it down to five, four. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was good for me because I like the Warriors. I just hope the Warriors can beat Cleveland. I think they can. Do you? Yeah, I think they can outrun them. I think yeah. that I mean I don't think teams are really built to be that fast. That's right. It's like yeah, if you just keep running, the other team's going to tire out at some point. Just wear them out. It's like how we get ahead of you on the show sometimes. Oh. We just keep running, you guys and then you're like, windy. "Go ahead, guys. Well, not so fast, not so fast." Go ahead, I'll stand back here. <laughs> it's so true. So the Warriors, Cavs. When does that start? Probably Thursday. Yep, because they want to do a Thursday. Sunday yeah. for all the games. Ah, oh, jeez. This is going to be great. Uh, you know, LeBron's got to win. LeBron, six straight times he's gone to the championship game. Yeah. It's crazy. That's yeah. six times in a row. Want to win in Cleveland or for Cleveland. Man. Oh, well, that'll be fun. A great start. Uh, let's take a break and uh, get to it, folks. we got to get into the uh, Washington Insider. Again, Joe Cannon. He'll be with us going to give us the scoop on what he hears about all things political everything going on uh, behind the scenes in washington 
We'll be talking about Hillary, about uh, uh, Donald, of course, and and really, what's going on? What what what's going to happen with this new report that came out on Hillary Clinton? Is any of that going to matter? Stick with us. We're talking politics up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Bob Dylan for you. Joe Cannon's theme song, Political World. I'm telling you. We uh, are honored to have Joe. Joe's our Washington insider, and uh, he wouldn't call himself an insider. We do, though, because he knows everybody. He is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower the fuel costs for you here in the United States and uh, improve the marketplace as well, he was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, and served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency during the Reagan administration. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Good to talk to you. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, what are you thinking? When? Wh- where do you want to start? I mean, Hillary Clinton comes out uh, with her, well, she didn't. The Justice Department came out with their uh, inspector general's report. What, what do you think of uh, how that all went down? Well, it was actually interesting that it was not the Justice Department. It was the State Department. Oh, State Department. Sorry, right. Yeah. And that that's important because they were looking maybe at two different sets of things. And, um, you know, I just quoting people who were close to Hillary, they're basically saying there's uh, maybe there's some fire where there's some smoke mm. there. And... In the, the the least case, it demonstrates the numerous statements she made in connection with the uh, her use of a private server were not correct when she said them. Right. And and maybe the question is maybe they were known not to be correct. I I, I personally feel that uh, Hillary Clinton just didn't take this whole thing very seriously. She felt she was. Uh, entitled to use a, a private server. She wanted to shield her private emails. But that's up to the government to decide what's private and not private when you're a public official. Right. And it was clear, there, there was actually then clear evidence that she wanted to hide things from the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, so whether that's a violation of law, I don't happen to know that. But it's clear that that was one of the things that she was looking at. Is it um, is it going to hurt? I mean, the weird thing about uh, Clinton scandal and their kind of obfuscation or whatever is they they just kind of keep spinning it and spinning it. And do, do you sense that this is going to hurt? I mean, it, it did validate a lot of other concerns, and it seems like it woke up the media more about what's going on with the emails. I think it definitely had that. I, I, I think large chunks of the media simply didn't take it seriously. You know, everyone does a quote, which is true, but that's, that was a statement. Everyone does it. She was entitled. Uh, this is more harassment on the part of Republicans. But when, you know, an Obama-appointed inspector general right. comes out and lays this kind of bear, I think it did get, 
I, I was surprised at the amount of attention it got by the media in general. Um, so yeah, no, I think there's something there. I'm I'm still highly skeptical that she'll get indicted, simply because this is the, a very political Department of Justice, and and uh, managed to overlook all kinds of things that uh, if they'd happened in a Republican administration would have you know been the end of the the administration. So uh, it's clear that there's more there there than people thought. Yeah. Will it be fatal? You know, the the fact is. Uh, we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to turn to Trump. Trump does and says things <laughs> all the time that are also fatal, and yet it seems to be, I'm putting quotes around fatal, that uh, seems to strengthen him with his own base. Now, can, so both of these, both of these candidates uh, have some very major defects, and yet they're the two going to be the two candidates. Is it's interesting? Is um, I guess let's say uh, Ted Cruz had won, or a Jeb Bush, as they thought. If if it were coming down to a Jeb Bush and a Hillary Clinton, um, would I guess there would be a? It seems like a, a disparity in the trust factor. Right now, yeah, nobody yeah. trusts anybody. Right, right, and and Jeb Bush certainly didn't have anywhere near the negative that uh, either Trump or Hillary Clinton have. So, hmm. yeah, I'm not sure it changes the electoral map very much. I mean, that's the... That's the, the issue, huh? The, the, the thing here is is that, well, I think in the last couple of weeks there have been two stunning bits of news on each side. One is what you just mentioned with the Inspector General report, but two, uh, a whole spate of polls showing that Trump is actually within striking distance of Hillary nationally. And in fact, I guess the latest, uh, uh, I, you know, I should have looked this morning, and I'm sorry I didn't, but basically the latest uh, realtor politics shows, <laughs> excuse me, no. slightly slightly ahead nationally. But the real, as everyone knows who's listening here, knows that uh, it really comes down to a state-by-state. Florida, Florida, Clinton's Uh, up two in Florida is all. Yeah. 1.4 in Ohio. Right. All of these easily within the margin margin of error. error. 5.3 in Pennsylvania, which he, which Donald's barely begun hitting on really. And Virginia, uh, she's only up 4.3. So, I mean, he's got a swing. He's basically got to win all the states that, uh, Romney won, right? And then pick up two or three others. Well, just as a general proposition, if you take the real clear politics sort of estimate of where they are, um, Hillary has about, well, hardcore, absolute certain Hillary votes. She has about uh, 119 almost certain electoral votes. Trump only has 69 certain electoral Mm. votes. If you take all the certain, likely, and lean on both sides, when you add all that up, Clinton has 201, and Trump only has 164. So she needs 69 to win, and he needs 106 to win. And those 106 are in some pretty tough states, historically. But as you point out, in in in, in the New York Times had a long piece on this yesterday, or well, I read it yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it might have been the day before, but laying out 
all of these states, including including Pennsylvania. Hmm. There's uh, there he's he's close. Now he continues to make what I think would be suicidal remarks. Right, right. Uh, and his campaign appears to be in somewhat a disarray, although that's been true for months. And uh, nothing seems to slow him down. I, 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 it's a phenomenon. It's again, Donald um, doesn't have to do what he does, but he goes into New Mexico and and beats up uh, their governor Martinez. A woman, a woman Hispanic. I know. In, in a state that might turn out to be kind of crucial for him. And why? Why? It's almost like it was just a flippant remark, but. Was he is he is he smart enough to be targeting something or is he just being flippant? Well, I think it's a combination of both. So, some of the things he said are clearly deadly smart that he's thought about and he's doing no matter what. But there's a certain part of him that is, seems to be un, unmanageable, un, unexplainable that he just will pop off <laughs> when he feels like he's been insulted in some way when he's not. It's like the the Godfather. Yeah. You know, when I when I'm not respected, I have to demonstrate that that person is going to be punished. Uh, otherwise, other people will disrespect me. And I think there's a there's an element of that in Trump. I think that clearly explains uh, the New Mexico situation because that was totally gratuitous. Yeah. Um, so there's some set of things he does that I think are by you know designed by instinct. And others not, and uh, it, it's, it's, there have been numerous cases of things that could just blow them up, and they don't. There was an interesting so. article. I don't know if you saw it in Politico about uh, how Hillary loses, but it's yeah, for no, really that's a really interesting. Did thing. you read that? Yeah, yeah. But she can't take the Hispanic vote for granted. Even if Trump's out there making dumb comments, she needs to shore up the Hispanic vote. I guess because it, it goes back to what you've said to us so many times that. Uh, Barack Obama won simply because he had such a he, he could bring out so many African American voters, and he had such a strong base that it could. I mean, and his and his numbers were so high. Hillary needs to keep the numbers up, right? Right. She needs to do at least as well as he did. And they're they're you know again it's early in the game, but uh, there are plenty of polls that show that Trump is doing better than expected among Hispanics and African Americans. Wow, and he doesn't need to do a lot better than it's like, you know. It's not like you suddenly a Republican needs to get fifty percent of the African American vote. That's it's not going to happen at least in my lifetime. But if he gets if he got fifteen percent of the African American vote, eighteen percent, it would be devastating mm. in a lot of states. Uh, <laughs> what so, about what about the young vote? Uh, that is one thing that Hillary. Um, isn't doing, I guess, great at. Uh, I, I think they're hoping that when Bernie Sanders is out, the young vote will automatically swing to Hillary. Do you think that will happen? Uh, no, I don't think it will automatically happen. She'll have to do a lot of work to get it. And the more work she does to get that vote, the more she's going to alienate older voters who tend to vote more Republican. Hmm. So it's a, tough, it's a tough situation. But I keep coming back to the electoral map. It's still a really, really hard to make the case for how uh, Trump wins, even though politically right. that really interesting article. Um, if, if you look in the last since 1992, 
there have been eight states which have cons- you know consistently gone Republican. Uh, I mean, sorry, Democrat with 242 electoral votes. That's only 28 short of what you need. Right. So he's so, going to have to turn those states away from the Dems. For him to win, he's going to have to win some combination of Arizona, Florida, Georgia, uh, North Carolina, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. You know, he can afford, there's a coalition in there that gets him to 270, but it's, it, those are a bunch of states. Take, take Pennsylvania, Ohio, states that have gone pretty consistently Democrat in the last few elections. Do you think it's the trade issue? I mean, he, he's been pounding on that hard. Hillary, it almost seems like she's in trouble on trade because of her husband's uh, initiatives and all of her initiatives and the Keystone pipeline support and then pull away from it. I mean, is if he pounds on that hard enough, could he, could he turn some of these uh, Rust Belt states around? He could. He could. I, I'm still kind of a skeptic on whether he can turn Pennsylvania around. Yeah. But could turn Ohio around, and, uh, and and remember when he brings these individual examples up, like coal miners or the Keystone Pipeline, he's really playing to the union vote, and the union vote is an, is very very crucial to uh, Democrat victories. So, yeah, you, you know, you hear him talking about you know sound like individual issues, but what he's really doing is hammering. Hey, union guys, I'm your pal. Yeah. And, and he can say it much more legitimately than most any of the other Republican candidates could because it's the, the, one of the very few areas of total consistency on his part has been on trade. And you've got Hillary Clinton who, who supported agreement after agreement after agreement. Now, she's sounding more like Bernie now in the primary, but she is the one who supported uh, NAFTA. She's right. the one who supported those, the, the recent, uh, oh, it's and double, triple T, whatever, the, uh, the most recent trade agreement. That was, that was, uh, uh, approved very, very, uh, affirmatively by her State Department. She's Secretary of State. So it's going to be very hard for her, uh, to withstand the onslaught of advertisements and, uh, uh, the, kitchen sink yeah. to get thrown at her by uh by trump oh man it's uh politics 101 we're learning from joe cannon our washington insider we'll take a break folks come back continue the discussion i want to see uh his comment about uh holder's uh position he just came out um talking and almost changing some of his opinions um we'll get into that when we come back folks this is the matt townsend show stick with us we'll be right back the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Joe Cannon. He is our Washington insider and uh, walks us through every Monday or Tuesday what's going on in the political world from an insider's point of view. Now, he would never, ever agree he's an insider, but he does know a lot of people on the inside of Washington politics. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Great to have you. 
Uh, sounds like you're battling a tiny cold. Yeah, well, actually, I'm getting over it now. I have bronchitis, actually. Oh. So it's, uh, That's not good. Coughing, a lot of coughing. And- yeah. Well, I'm on the mend. Okay, good. Only you know seven more minutes, and we, then we don't have to. You don't have to talk for another week. Hey, uh, did you read that article about Eric Holder? Uh, well, actually, it was an interview that he did on um, Axelrod's uh, blog called "The Axe Files," um, where he came out talking about Snowden. Did you hear any of this? I just saw the headline that he said that Snowden may have done a very patriotic act. Yeah. But I, I honestly I didn't read the piece. But but basically it's so. just that he he you know, he got he, he did something because he helped uh start a conversation that needed to be started. But when Holder, Eric Holder was the head of the Justice Department, he you know, he didn't prosecute it. He prosecuted it, right? So um Well I don't know the I don't know that he prosecuted clearly went after him. Right? Yeah, to the point to the fact that then Snowden had to stay out of the United States in order right. to not be prosecuted. And what what do you think about that? I mean, I guess in in retroactively and when no when uh, Eric Holden is no longer in the position he's in, I guess he's now free to say anything he wants, but it's he's you walk a fine line when somebody steals thousands and thousands of pages of of uh Secrets. Well, yeah, secrets, secret secrets. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It, uh, um, I don't think many people think of him, many mainstream independent voters think of Snowden as a hero here. Um, so, you know, now maybe Holder, like I said, I didn't read the piece, so I'm not qualified here, but maybe he was thinking this was an honorable thing like the Pentagon Papers. Right. You know, many, many years ago. Uh I, I don't know what he was thinking. How, how do we how do we ever trust what a politician is saying? Oh man! Well, and maybe give us a historical account because it used to be that we could, or we wanted to. Yeah, well, I think I, as I mentioned last week, I was at the Eisenhower Museum. Yeah, in, uh, in Kansas, and well, I didn't go there this time I've been a number of times to the Truman Museum they were very different people they were di- different they had strongly held opinions but uh, they seemed to be more honest now it, everywhere you <laughs> everywhere you look you can find uh, all humans are imperfect and they make mistakes and sometimes they're venal and so it's pretty easy to pick out flaws it just seems today those flaws are more obvious uh, and that they outweigh more the potential good character. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I one thing I thought we could talk about, I don't know, maybe you want to do a different place, but uh, you know, I think it was really interesting that uh, President Obama visited Hiroshima. Yeah. No, go there. In fact, that was next on the list. What did uh, I mean? That's a again. It's it seems like all of the pundits uh, have been forever for eight years with uh, with Obama talking about how he's going on the apology tour and he's always out apologizing. But it's it's it seems like an important relationship to go keep strong. Well, strictly speaking, he did not apologize, right. which is probably good. Um, and, and Japan is an incredibly important ally 
in that neck of the woods. They're one of our few true allies, and uh, I I give uh, uh, credit to President Obama for recognizing that there's something strategic needs to happen in in uh, uh, the East, Far East, to uh, balance out our uh, you know relations with China, who's acting oddly for, for its history, oddly aggressive there. Yeah. So, but on the issue of of dropping the bomb, I mean that's another place where you've got uh, on the benefit of a lot of hindsight. Um, and in hindsight, lots of people said they wouldn't have done it. Um, but when you look at what Truman knew at the time and what all of his advisors knew at the time, it it looks to me like it was a you know pretty important to saving millions of lives on both sides, both Japanese lives and American lives. I mean, the statistics are pretty stunning. Oh, yeah. I mean, an and, end, and an ended a long-drawn-out war, right? Well, people act like, uh, well, if we did drop the bomb, you know, things would have been, they would have ended the war anyway. But, you know, the Japanese had 10,000 planes in Japan ready to uh, halt our attack. And, and many, 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 if not most of them, were potential kamikaze suicide bombers. Hmm. And they had, they had human suicide torpedoes. They had uh, human suicide submarines, all of which were used in the Philippines and Okinawa. So it wasn't like America was speculating on how hard it would be to have an assault on Japan. But to me, just looking at this the subject that was really interesting is that not dropping the bomb might have resulted in even more casualties if we had just gone ahead with a routine preparation. By dropping the bomb... Uh, on Tokyo, they, the, the, the army, we'd already firebombed Tokyo and other Japanese cities. And those, and up to that point, have cost 350,000 Japanese lives, hmm. um, about the same amount as in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, and, but it's not like there was either or. So if we had dropped the bomb, we would have continued doing that firebombing and had even more wrecked, even more devastation on more cities and cost more Japanese lives. Um, so, I don't know, it was, a, it was a very, very tough and very gutsy decision. Yeah. Um, later, Eisenhower, I'm just finishing reading a biography of Eisenhower, you know, he said he would have opposed the war, but to be fair, there's no record of him saying that at the time. Hmm. And same, same with Douglas MacArthur, who later said, oh, it might have been a mistake. And you can look to trust him, but he made no uh, opposition at the time. So a lot of people had, you know, uh, I, I, what triggered this in my mind was your statement by uh, Eric Holder changing his view on right, the right. You know, after the fact, people have convenient could have convenient memories. Hmm. It's a. Uh, it seems like that's a major part of politics today, right? Is rewriting and making sure your your history is seen. Properly, I mean, I guess that never ends for some of these candidates, huh? They, well, it's they, a very Orwellian con- concept of controlling knowledge of the past is about as important as controlling how the future comes to hmm. be. That's sort of the 1984 um, Orwellian idea. Yeah, flashback. Um, anything else that uh, should be on our radar that uh, we haven't been paying attention to? 
Well, it's going to be really interesting what happens next week. I, I'm gathering we're going to talk next Wednesday after uh, California. California primary. That could be – she still hasn't been able to put down the Bernie rebellion, and he seems to be getting getting stronger. Traction, huh? I, I, I don't see any pathway to victory for him, but yet he stays in there. Well, and it almost and, seems uh, like he's getting more and more angry, too. So Yeah, yeah. I do think I would just maybe close on one note. Yeah. I think it was, if Trump has made a mistake, there was a really good piece in Commentary Magazine uh, that said, well, if he's made a mistake recently, it wasn't any of his crazy things that he says, but by not um, debating Bernie Sanders, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that might have been a mistake. I mean, it's probably not a fatal mistake, but if he had... Uh, it would have just really sucked all the air out of the Clinton campaign. And he right, could have maybe right teased some of the followers of Bernie. Right, yeah, because there are, there are certain things that they completely agree on. Right. Uh, and so if you're a Bernie supporter, you're saying, okay, my guy's losing. I can't stand Hillary. I can't, this guy's crazy. This Trump guy's crazy. But at least on trade issues, he's going to be... He's on yeah. my side. Yeah, I like and on war, 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 and trade. He is to the left of Hillary. Yeah, yeah. He could have. He could have. And like you said, deflated some of her uh, progress there. Joe Cannon, we appreciate you and keep up the great work. Get better with your bronchitis. CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, Joe Cannon. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. A great resource uh, trying to lower the fuel costs in the United States. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, people get married for a variety of reasons, and at some point, you know, some say heaven's a line, and you just know that that he or she, that's the one, that's the one. Well, we found an article in Women's Health titled, uh, Guys Share the Moment They Knew She Was the One, and uh, we wanted to, to take it a little bit further. Um, our own producer, Leanna Tan, interviewed married men throughout the uh, uh, our campus here on here at Brigham Young University and found out uh, we wanted to know exactly what led them to believe that their spouse was the one that they should marry. Not to go off on a tangent, but looking around me, I've been thinking the earth has a lot of people. Did you know that there are over 7 billion people in the world? Yet you have the daunting task of choosing just one of those to spend the rest of your life with. How do people do it? Matt showed me this article, Nine Guys Share the Moment They Knew She Was the One. And it made me curious as to when guys really do know when they've found the girl they're going to commit to. So, I decided to ask the guys around the office for their stories. What's your name? My name is Mark Mitchell. Andre. Brett Park. My name's Dennis. Mark. Uh, Jake Latuga. Okay, I'm here with Reed Wolfley. Mark Waite. Carrie, we have the executive producer here. How long have you been married? 33 years, I think. Mid, mid, yeah, somewhere between 30 and 35. I think it's 33. 23 years? 15 years. I actually have only been married four years. Five months. A little over three months. Almost a month. And you aren't married yet, but you're engaged. How long have you been engaged? A month and a half. What moment did you know that your wife was the one? <laughs> I don't know. I got to think about it. 
Oh my goodness, what a question. Oh gosh, let's think. <sighs> when did I know? The minute I laid eyes on her. I knew that I loved her on day three. I knew from the first day. I didn't have a clear moment of like, she is the one, anything like that. It was more like a progression. I think it was kind of like a process. There wasn't, I don't think there was like one day that I knew that she was the one. This is kind of a crazy story, but I met my wife 25 years ago, and I knew that she was the one then. But life circumstances did not work out, so we met again about six years ago, and we finally decided to get married. Actually, we've known each other for quite some time, and so we wrote each other for a while on our LDS missions, and so there was a point where I decided that I'm still writing this girl, so I guess it means something to me. How did you know she was the one? Like, how do you choose her out of, like, the crowd, you know? I don't, it's, it's more just a feeling, I think, you know, just, I don't know, being around her was awesome, so. We had been dating for about three years, and it, it occurred to me that there were none better. Obviously, there was, my wife's hot, so there was an immediate physical attraction to it, but I fell in love with her because she gave me nothing but sass from the very beginning, gave me nothing but attitude, and I was like, okay, I can, I can hang with this girl. She was one of the handful of girls that in my life, my first laid eyes on them, it took my breath away, and I go, and yeah, it was going into a disco to dance. I was with my buddy, and she was like three people ahead of us, and I turned to my buddy and said, I'm going to dance with her before the night is over because she, you know, she takes my breath away. About a half hour later, we're walking through a crowded aisle, and my buddy is in front of me, and he turns around and says, here's your chance. And I said, for what? And then he moves, and then there she was. I grabbed her and says, hey, do you want to dance? And we spent the rest of the night together, and then we had a date the next day, and then the rest was history. It was one day that we were watching a movie at my at my house, and she fell asleep, uh, and I was just looking at her, and I was like, well, this, this girl's pretty nice for me. So I think that moment was the one that I was like, I think, I think she... She might, might, might be the one. So I'm generally like a clean person, and like I like things pretty orderly. And I had let her drive my car one day, and she didn't put the seat back after she was done. And the steering wheel was down, and I couldn't really get into my car. And normally that would kind of make me a little bit angry, but I was just like, dang it, I miss Hannah. Like, where is she? How come she's not here with me right now? So instead of like getting mad, like I was like happy that although like she left my stuff in a mess that like I still had her so that was like a good like that was like a good indicator for me we had a class in college together and i spent the semester mocking the teacher the teacher would say things i would point out that she was wrong and my my wife thought it was funny at that point i knew she was the one i think the moment came when after i came home from my mission i flew out to see her she's from new jersey and when she picked me up from the airport, it was just like this, like, oh, there she is. It's it's funny because it's hard to identify. It's like you meet somebody and you just, it just clicks. It's like chemistry. I don't even know how to explain it. It wasn't one of those things where, that I thought about for very long. It was just, this is the one. Wow. So pretty much there's no formula. I mean, I've known I'm the one for a long time. Just got to find someone who agrees with me, I guess. I suppose the moral of the story is just always be you because someone can spot you as the one at any moment on your couch, in the classroom, at the airport, or on the dance floor. Better keep your A game on. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, 
And that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Tuesday. And welcome back uh, if you had an extended weekend with Memorial Day. Welcome back to the show. This is the show where we do what we can to give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. And uh, today, no exception. We've got a great show lined up for you. Um, Tom Vanderbilt will be on the show in a few moments. Uh, He's the author of the book um, Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do. He's also the author of Survival City and the Sneaker Book. Today, we're going to be talking about your tastes and For example, why do you eat the same breakfast you eat every morning? Why that? But then you're all into novelty for lunch and dinner. Isn't that strange? How come you uh, watch the Netflix show you do? Why do you choose the shirt you choose to wear? Our choices that we make. We'll be talking about this. You know, in an age of endless choices, um, you still choose basic things, and you choose them over and over and over again. So we'll be getting into that uh, interesting discussion in a few moments. Um, also, of course, uh, more headlines and crazy things trying to help you just understand you, the human being. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry? Thanks, Matt. President Obama participated in a wreath-laying ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery on Monday to commemorate Memorial Day. He said, for us, the living, those of us who still have a voice, it is our responsibility and our obligation to fill our, to fill our silence with our love and gratitude and not with just our words, but with our actions. He said, highlighting the importance of providing veterans returning from war with jobs and with health care. Uh, presumptive Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump on Sunday night blasted attempts by Weekly Standard editor Bill Kristol to talk up a third-party bid by an independent conservative. Kristol wrote on Twitter that there will be an impressive independent candidate on the ballot in November with a strong team and a real chance. Trump responded quickly on Twitter. Bill Kristol has been wrong for two years, an embarrassed loser, but if the GOP can't, can't control their own, when uh, then they are not going to be a party, but... Uh, it's tough for Republicans, he tweeted. He also warned of lightweights attempting to spoil his bid and said an independent candidate would mean conservatives can say goodbye to the Supreme Court. Hmm. So, Twitter. North Korea, North Korea is pretty keen on the idea of a Donald Trump presidency, so much that North Korean state media, uh, DPRK Today, published an editorial recently singing the presumptive GOP's nominee's praises. Trump, says the DPRK Today, said that is a wise politician – and a far-sighted candidate. There are many positive aspects to Trump's inflammatory policies. A Chinese North Korean scholar named Han Hong Mook wrote in the editorial, Trump said he will not get involved in the war between the South and the North. Isn't this fortunate from North Korea's perspective? The editorial also welcomed Trump's request to hold direct talks with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, the president of the U.S. citizens must vote uh, for is not that dull Hillary, <laughs> who claimed to adapt the Iranian model of resolve nuclear issues on Korean Peninsula. But Trump, who spoke of holding direct conversations with North Korea, while this isn't necessarily the state 
policy because yeah. it's coming from the newspaper. Uh, the Guardian reports that experts contend the editorial is still likely reflective of the regime's take on Trump. So wow. North Korea may like may like Trump. Trump may be able to sort out the North Korean issue. And apparently Hillary is dull, as it says there in the editorial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Predictable, maybe. Maybe. Maybe a diplomat. Over the weekend, Texas authorities have found six bodies of people killed in Memorial Day weekend flooding, and an 11-year-old boy was washed away in a swollen creek, a creek is missing and presumed dead in Kansas as heavy rains caused flash flooding around the U.S. Torrential rains in central and southern southeastern Texas prompted several evacuations and rescues along with the, with the six confirmed deaths. Near Houston, prison officials evacuated some 2,600 inmates from a, a prison in that area. There were riots as the prisoners tried to take advantage of the chaos as they were trying to move people out and, and prepare for the flooding. Separately, Tropical Depression Bonnie has reached South Carolina and is expected to continue dousing North and South Carolina with rain and strong winds. This according to the National Weather Service. Mm. So lots of tough weather out there. Uh, this will uh, kind of a Hawaii story. What? For Ben. Honolulu. I probably already know it. Honolulu students who get license. Honolulu students who get license next year can stay in school that are inc- that are included wow. in the new educational de- department policy. Schools currently send students home yeah. for treatment. Hawaii Department of Education officials say the policy of keeping kids at school once they're found with lice is based on a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines. The American Academy of Pediatrics contends that children should not be kept home from school because of lice. They say most cases of head lice are acquired outside of school. The school must notify parents if their child has lice. The student can stay in class if the parent is not able or doesn't want to pick up the child. The student will go back to class and remain in school until the end of the school day, the letter says. Just don't share hoodies. I, I guess. I stayed in class regardless. What do you, I, mean? What do you mean? Well, like I, I had lice several yeah. times in high school. And you just stayed in yeah, class. I, just, I, I didn't think it was a problem. Isn't it true that you didn't know you actually had, had lice until well, the birds started landing on your head? My head was really itchy. Yeah. Um, that was – but I didn't know what it was, so. Yeah, we've had a bout of lice going around our school, mm. and it's not pretty because you don't know where you want your kid to, like, sleep over. <laughs> My son will call and say, can I have a sleepover at so-and-so's? And I'm like, check check his head. I saw him scratch his head yesterday. Do they use shampoo over there? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, and so, the, and so there's what, a stigma attached to it too, right? What do you think of that policy, Matt? I think – Sure. If it's not endangering other people, which I'm sure it's not. I mean, I know some schools that the teachers walk around and kind of look for it. They look for the signs, right? And then if they see a kid scratching his head too much, then get over here, boy. Well, I don't know. My, my wife, every time my son taps his ear, just kind of brushes yeah. it. She's like, oh, intersection. Oh, is she thinking that? He's got an interface. I'm like, no, he might just have an itch on no. his ear. He might have, he might you have know. lice. And she's like, ear infection. And you so. I want to check that. It's just, there's a stigma attached to it too, right? I mean, if you have yes. to stay home because you have lice, plus. Then you're the dirty kid. You're the dirty kid and yeah, you and can't win. Other parents are like, don't play with that child. Yeah. I don't want you getting lice. I mean, so, I get yeah. it. Just don't share stuff, right? Combs and. Yeah. Clothes and pillows. And- but as you can imagine, the rest of the story goes on and parents are just yeah. out of their mind like, what just are you doing? Don't no. let your head rub your kid rub his head on someone else's head. Just pretty simple. Does it have to be fairly close? I think so. Hmm. 
or maybe like same chair, same couch. But okay. they're they're in their they're in their school chairs, right? Yeah. They're just the plastic. I don't know. It's sad because again, the kids that need the help may not always get it at home, so sometimes the schools have to support them anyway. So get them don't just let them be home because it takes it could take a week, right, to get yeah. rid of lice. Yeah. And it takes work, apparently. A lot of detergent, or what are they like? Uh, shampoos and then Combs combing, and, and yeah. oh, not good. So should I stop rotating the chairs in the studio? Yeah, yes, please. Yeah, you just keep yours and keep your head shaved. Like you've got it, <laughs> just like a little prisoner. Uh, Happier, less louse advice. Uh, yeah. uh, Laos, I guess. Uh, de-loused. Inv- deloused inv- invaded news there. Um, Oreos. Love them. You're a fan? Mm-hmm. Totally. They come out with new flavors every once in a uh-huh. while? Yeah. We have new flavors. What? I want I want you to judge. Okay. Blueberry pie. N- no. It's an artificially flavored... Blueberry. The cream is a Kay. blue cream filling. Okay. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not loving that one. Not on board with that Maybe one? there's another one. And as they call it, a non-branded Fruity Pebble Oreos. So like Fruity Pebbles, the cereal. The taste of the Fruity Pebbles. Actually like little Rice Krispie pieces. Are but in the Oreo. They're flavored in the Oreo cream. I'm thinking no on that one too. Really? Ben, ben keeps saying yes, but I keep saying no because that just seems disgusting. Okay. So there's your new, there's your new flavors. They'll be it. out uh, the week of June 6th. Oh, wow. They're not trying very hard. They need to like – Somebody needs to get fired. Somebody – I mean, I, I'm never a big blueberry fan. I mean, I like blueberry pie, but who just goes and orders blueberry Oreos? Blueberry and Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, yeah it was a bad year for Oreo, I think. So what it is? Yeah. Well, not a bad year. It's, it's macaroon day, for month. heaven's sake. Well, just go back to macaroon. No, macaroon. It's macaroon, Ben. Not macarena. Macaroons, flourless, uh, often almond-based light cakes made with whipped egg whites and sugar. Mm. But not blueberry Oreos? No. They're good. Are they? they sh- no, they're probably not. They're probably not. Hey, um, did you hear this story about the, the driver? Um, a Washington State driver had a monkey on his back. <laughs> he wound up in handcuffs uh, on his wrist. Police said in Seattle... Um, suburb of Burien said the driver crashed into a rock in someone's yard, and then he. But he, by the way, had been clocked at 112 miles an hour Whoa. before he crashed. Witnesses told police that the man ran from the crash, but then returned to grab his pet monkey out of the car. He then fled with the monkey on his back. <laughs> wow! Exclusive audio. Fled away. The 30-year-old man easily um, uh, identified the man easily because he still had his monkey on his back. They arrested him for fleeing the scene of a crash, but the monkey refused to be held by officers. <laughs> they had to call the man's mother to pick up the animal. Hmm. If you're going to run from police, you know, take your monkey. Was it his monkey? Apparently. Was this pet? Pet monkey. Were they stopping him because of the monkey? Yeah. Have you ever had a monkey well, I, on your back? 112 miles an hour. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> it was the combined. It is the, yeah. Is but, it illegal to have a monkey on your back as you drive? Uh, probably. I mean, if it's distracting you. We had a presidential candidate who put his dog on the top of the car. Yes, he said he was I mean, it, trying, was in, it was in a kennel. But, he was trying to not be distracted by the dog. Well, people used to sail ships with monkeys on their shoulders or parrots, parrots on their shoulders. Right. Well, yeah. but those were pirates. Pirates can do that. 
because they specially trained. Oh. <laughs> but a monkey on your back. I mean, that's a that's a lot of people are trying to get the monkey off their back. If he was going sixty miles an hour with the monkey on his back, do you think it would have been a problem? No, because the monkey probably wasn't yeah. going anywhere. How many people? How many times have you seen like a cute little old with their dog? Just sticking his head out the window yeah. while she's driving. All the time. Yeah. You know what I have to say to those people? What? Just straighten up and fly right. Well, that's, that's some advice there. That Kenny. was a reference to a song. Yeah. 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 Well. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, if anybody knows the song, give us a call. one eight five five chat byu We're just trying to. Just trying to and if you do know the song, we're sorry that Ben probably just ruined it. A lot of people, when I, I was talking in the first hour how I climbed up the mountain. There's a big Y on the mountain near Brigham Young University. And I cli- I took my family up there. We climbed. Um, I literally pulled muscles I didn't know I had. But a lot of people bring their dogs on these trails. We had a couple dog fights. Mm. Uh, were, were people casting lots? No. To no. see who would win? Yeah, no. We, they stopped it. <laughs> And then somebody brought what looked but like you stumbled into something illegal going on. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> dog fight. Um, but somebody brought the most pathetic looking little tiny like chihuahua, chihuahua type thing. dog yeah. that seriously, seriously looked like a squirrel. A sh- a sh- Was it in a purse or something? No, they were walking it on a leash. Oh. The, the thickness of the leash was thicker than the legs of the dog. Mm. And it was a very narrow little leash. <laughs> it's just fragile. And then there's another dog up there that was causing a lot of problems, fighting with every dog. Mm-hmm. Why do you bring your dog? Why? It's, they have fun in the out of doors. It's part of the family, Matt. <sighs> Which is why I am so in love with this idea. See, dog owners have to walk their dog to show their love, hmm. right? Um, what do you do with a cat to show your love? Just ignore it? No, oh. no, no, no. Throw stuff at it? You lick oh. it. What? So there is a brand new Kickstarter out that you will not believe. If you've ever watched a cat lick itself or another cat and thought, man, I wish I could lick that cat too. Mm, no. Mm-mm. There's a Kickstarter project for you. It's called Licky. It's a silicon brush shaped like a giant tongue that will supposedly allow you to bond with your cat by licking it. Ugh. The cat grooms each other. Uh, cats groom each other as a form of social bonding. So the Kickstarter page from Jason O'Mara of PDX Pet Design stated, "There's also evidence to suggest that cats view and treat their human captors as large cats." I actually just backed that project, and I don't even have a cat or so money. You just saw it and you thought, "Hey, that's a great idea." <laughs> yeah, if I ever see a cat. Oh, there my you go. heavens. So if you if you feel a need to lick your cat, no. A, don't do it. B, go find this Kickstarter called Licky. And you can actually donate money and they will then design allegedly the fake tongue a that lot. will help you lick your cat so that you can bond with your cat. A good percentage of Kickstarters never actually happen. The product never actually gets uh, I'm made. I'm pretty sure this one's going to happen. The money actually dis- disappears. I think the comedians are just going to back it yeah. because then it's going to make great footage. Ugh. What is happening to this country? Men driving 112 miles an hour, the monkey on their back. People spending money with a fake licking device so that they can bond with their cat. It is completely natural, Matt. 
Yeah, if you're a cat. It's organic. It's sick. Oh, well. What do you got to do? This is why we're talking about likes. Up next, Tom Vanderbilt will be joining us. He is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do. Today, he's going to be talking to us about our likes, the things that we like. Why do we like what we like? Like, why for me is a giant silicon tongue gross? Because I don't like it. But some people might like that. They might like pretending to lick their cats. (sighs) We'll be talking about your likes, your dislikes, and uh, how you determine what you like. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back in a minute. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How many posts did you like on uh, Facebook today, folks? Or on Instagram? Did you write a Yelp review last night after a bad dining experience? Or give a new song four to five stars? We live in a world where we're always expressing and analyzing our preferences. Why do we like what we like and hate what we hate? And what do these preferences reveal about us? Well, here to tell us about... uh, why we like what we like is uh, the author, um, Tom Vanderbilt, who is a, a New York Times bestselling author for the book Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do. He's now put together this, uh, this great book. You may also like Taste in the Age of Endless Choices. He's uh, spend, en- spent endless hours trying to figure out why we like what we like. And Tom, we appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, now, you've got these great books and great titles. Why we, like, for example, you may also like is your new book. What What did you learn about our preferences, about our likes? Did anything stand out? And why Why did you even get into this topic at all? Well, I mean, the thing that, that stood out the most, I think, is just that the number of ways decisions we make might really be influenced by other sorts of factors that, you know, the, the stuff we're putting in our mouth, the stuff that we think that we're liking, you know, we, we think it's really about the thing itself, but there's a lot of often subconscious or other kinds of, uh, you know, culturally constructed factors that go into this. So, you know, we, we argue about our taste, but I, I would argue that uh, those tastes can be often, you know, we, we don't often understand what they are themselves or why yeah. we have them. And what, what got me into it was just one of these simple questions you get from a kid. The kid in this case was my daughter, and she you know, like a lot of uh, kindergartners, they were talking about favorites, like, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? And she asked me what my favorite color was. And I gave this answer of blue. And I thought, well, that's sort of an interesting thing. I, I don't think it's very uncommon. But why did I do that? Do it, is it really my favorite? If it is, where did yeah. that even come from? So, I, you know, once I started thinking about that, I wondered where a lot of my other preferences came that's, from. It's true. I mean, we were just talking about these new Oreo flavors coming out, and there's a blueberry Oreo flavor, and I immediately didn't like it. <laughs> I haven't even tasted it. But I have I, not I, heard about this. So it's blue, uh, blueberry and something else? Or yeah, it's, I guess it's just blueberry uh, is the filling inside of the Oreo now. Yeah. And um, and then they have another one that is kind of like a Fruity Pebbles uh-huh. uh, type of flavor. But neither of them did I like, and yet I had an actual opinion. And I'm thinking, right now as you're talking, I'm thinking, why do I even have an opinion? 
Well, it's funny that you bring up something that's, uh, you know, kind of an interesting part of, co- of consumer science here, which is that we're sort of, I think as humans, we, we're, we're often kind of hung between liking f- what's familiar and liking what's new. And so those Oreos, I guess, in a way, they, they take an old familiar concept and then apply a new flavor. So, mm. you know, they're kind of, you're, you feel safe on the one hand, but then they're trying to get you to branch out into that. And it might, you know, novelty, though, is kind of frightening. It might take you to actually a few exposures, as they call it, of eating those Oreos to begin to like them. But if you really didn't like them to begin with, you're probably only going to grow to dislike them more. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we talk about endless choice. This is the thing. When I was growing up, we had one kind of Oreo. You're right, right. Now there's, what, 10 or something? Yeah, the proper kind, really, right? I mean, it wasn't even double stuffed. It was just stuffed. Um, yeah, and I think we have so many of these choices that, you know, often we feel overwhelmed or we try to look for shortcuts to make decisions. So the bad side of this is that I think we sometimes write off things ahead of time that we actually may like simply to try to filter out so much information in Hmm. the world. Is now, how did you get into, and what did you, what did you learn about why we like what we like? I mean, you said it's complicated because it probably comes from upbringing and expectation. And sometimes it seems like it comes from not really thinking about it. Yeah. And a lot of these things aren't, aren't, hardwired per se. I really thought they, there would be more of that. I mean, for, for color, for example, so it turns out blue is the most often uh, chosen favorite color, and especially among men, but, but everyone overall. And um, the, the argument here that I got from a psychologist, the theory that I like the best, he calls it ecological valence. We, if, you t- if you take a list of all the things in the world, in the natural world, and the way we feel about those, and he, he's done interviews, the things that people feel most positive about seem to be, off, more often than not, uh, blue-colored. I mean, the, just take the sky, for example, a clear hmm. blue sky. Who doesn't love that? Right. Uh, water. We need, if we see a body of water, we sort of, you know, makes us feel happy. We're made of water. So, you know, he, he argues that the, that sort of presence of those things, the feeling of that things, kind of almost, you know, subconsciously trickles into our feelings about things that are blue that aren't in the natural world, like, you know, a, a, a shirt, um, so it's kind of this process of conditioning where, you know, you just come to associate good feelings with it, and that makes you feel good about the thing itself. And if I could just continue here, yeah. the, the thing, there's another theory called processing fluency. I think this applies to music as well. When you hear, start to hear a song a few times and you begin to like it, I think what's often happening is what, what's really happening, you're beginning to understand that song, what to listen for, you know, the, the way it goes, certain unexpected moments, you, you begin to become familiar and sort of fluent in that song. And the argument psychologists have is that w- that makes us feel good itself. I mean, regardless of what the actual song is, just the fact that we're kind of mastering that song. So y- sometimes you hear something the first time, you're really not sure. Then you start to hear it again and again, and you start to get it, and then voila. And oh, yeah. And then you've, yeah, you know right when that drop's going to hit, and you know how it's going to feel, and it, it probably makes life predictable. Yeah, and then the flip side of this is that, you know, like music or food, we can begin to become satiated with something. We just, we've had enough. I mean, it's, there's a more clear reason why that would happen with food than with music, but it just hits that point where you don't want to hear that song again. You have to let it rest for a while, and then uh, you move on, you look for the next new thing. Yeah, and yet, and yet you may still have the same breakfast every morning for years. Yeah, I mean, that's a funny thing. Like, I think we are... Um, our tastes shift even in the course of a day. You wake up, and part of this is just practicalities. You're not really going to go out 
searching for adventurous food the minute you wake up. You just <laughs> want to sort of put something in your mouth, yeah. break the fast, and you know, get to work. So we, we don't have a lot of adventure seeking in the morning. We, we rely back on these you know, very familiar things, which make us feel comfortable. But by the time dinner rolls around, we might actually have more of an appetite for something new. It's funny that we think of food as adventure seeking, but you know, I guess back in the day you wanted a simple berry. Let's just have berries in the morning, and then in the afternoon when I'm really in for it, I'm going to go out for a hunt and go get something really good for the family. Exactly. I mean, what what is what is familiar is what did not kill you yesterday. So I mean, <laughs> that, right. as you say, back in this uh, you know Paleolithic whatever time, we were food choices were more than just what will I have today it's you know what will help me survive today and it, why go why expend a bunch of energy looking for an apple tree in the next you know village over when the one right in front of you is good i mean what the body tells us is that you know often you know, we do need a sort of a balanced diet ideally so there's this funny mechanism called sensory specific satiety the weird thing here is when you begin to eat a meal the moment you begin eating that meal, your, your liking for that food, as studies have, have kind of shown, begins to, to fall off. And it, it will hit a point where you just really can't eat any more of that thing. Yet, if you brought something else along, suddenly you'd have a reset of your brain and your palate, and you'd be ready to eat at least some of that again. Huh. Just, the body sort of sending out these little internal signals that, hey, you should move on to something something new keep yeah yeah keep balancing probably i guess um talk about the choices we make i know in the book you uh the book titled you may also like you you talk about the fact that we we make choices preferential decisions every single day how how many of these are we making a day i mean brian wanzik at at cornell who's a food researcher estimates just with food there are 200 decisions a day and you know that's you can think going to the world now where there's so much to choose from a, a site like Amazon or simply going out. If you go out for lunch, you have to decide where to go. So you might open a site like Yelp and then, you know, you start reading the reviews. And this is something that kind of got me to write the book. I just found myself, you know, I, I, I like information. So I would find myself reading 10, 20 reviews. And, and by the end of reading that, those reviews, I'd sometimes be more confused than when I opened <laughs> the, the, the site, whether I wanted to go to that place or not, because one person had a great experience, the next person had a mild experience. So I found myself trying to review the reviewers and, and figure out whether they were authorities. And it just, you know, we, we are all expressing these opinions now every day, and it's made life easy on the one hand, but very difficult uh, on the other. Yeah, but 200 decisions on food a day. No wonder we just want to have a favorite. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and some of these sites, I mean, I just, for example, on Amazon, I ordered a, a pair of bolt cutters that I needed. I, I don't really know what a good brand of bolt cutters is. I, just, <laughs> I looked, and some, one, one product had four-and-a-half-star average reviews, about 400 reviews. I thought, that's probably a pretty good pair of bolt cutters. It's not like someone's going to say, as with a movie, <laughs> right. you know, I just couldn't relate to the bolt cutters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so much easier with, with things that are just products versus what are called you know, taste goods books, films, things. That's where people start to get really suspicious when they see other people expressing their own personal taste and, and the, the confidence in those reviews falls off. Oh, interesting. Wow. I mean, it's, there's so much to this that I have never even thought about. Um, let's take a break. We're speaking with Tom Vanderbilt, author of the book you may also like, Taste in the Age of Endless Choice. Uh, he is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Traffic as well. 
Um, another wonderful one to go look up. And you can find them at TomVanderbilt.com. We'll take a break and be right back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. And today we're helping you understand your tastes. Stick with us. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, uh, your coach, your guide on the side. Today we are talking with Tom Vanderbilt. Um, You can go to his website, TomVanderbilt.com. He's the author of the book, You May Also Like, Taste in the Age of Endless Choice, which is an illuminating uh, look at why we like the things we like. I mean, a lot of us don't think about it, but we're pretty impressed with certain things, and you may not even know why. Why you like what you like, and he's joining us here. Uh, he's a New York Times bestselling author of also the book Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do. And, uh, Tom, we appreciate you being with us. Sure, my pleasure. One of the things, too, it seems like we we not only like our likes, but in today's day and age, we like to talk about them. We, we share them, and we like to like things <laughs> with Facebook. And is this a new phenomenon where we're more and more vocal about our likes? I don't know if it's so much new, but it just the, the internet and social media just makes it so much easier. Yeah. To, you know, you, it takes hardly any effort to post something to then like something. I mean, you, you hinted something here that, that has been sort of seen is that we do kind of have a bias toward positivity. We don't, especially with with you know friends or, or strangers. Also, we, we like to broadcast our likes. We don't so much like to broadcast our dislikes. We sort of keep those closer to our, our chest. Um, the, the old uh, punk rock musician Johnny Rotten, I think, walked around with a T-shirt that said, I hate Pink Floyd on it, but most people don't do that. They, they, they want to wear a T-shirt with the band that they like. Right, right. And, um, you know, so that, that seems to be a more positive, you know, uh, factor in, in kind of, and people kind of heard on the positive opinions, and, and you see this on, online as well. Do you see that, I mean, a lot of this seems to be about, you know, social sec- social security, not the not the agency or the program in the government, but just feeling secure socially by promoting what I like to tell everyone else I'm like you. Yeah, this may go even go back to we were talking about sort of um, you know evolutionary biology. This may go back to our our kind of upbringing in small groups and you know where conformity really meant survival that you were inside this small group. But but the thing. Here is interesting that psychologists have talked about something called conformist distinction, which states that, yes, we all want to be like each other, but we all also want to be just a little bit different. You know, you, you, if, you, if you come into work wearing the same thing that your coworker is wearing, you have this kind of you know, nervous laugh for a minute, and you know, did you guys coordinate your wardrobe? So, or let's say your neighbor buys a new car. You really like that car, but you'll feel a bit weird about buying the exact same Thing that he has. You'll perhaps want at least a different color, a few different options. So I think we're always, you know, trying to just be just a little bit different. And in an age, you know, when, when a lot of people have access to the same things, this makes it more of a difficult challenge to achieve this distinction, that the, the sort of points for distinction become very small. And, you know, where I live here in Brooklyn, New York, you find, like, things like going out for coffee now become 
you, you kind of have to, you know, do some research before you go to the coffee shop on what the latest, you know, hip <laughs> brewing technique is. And, yeah. You know, to, so it's, so it's a, to not look like a fool, you know, because so even <laughs> coffee has been made into this sort of, you know, connoisseur item that you really need to know your stuff. Isn't that so true? And it's, yeah, like you're not even literate enough to know your coffees. What is your yeah. problem? And I, I sort of say, I'll, you know, of course I'll have the nitro cold brew without actually knowing what it is, and then I'll, I'll look at it later and, and try to figure it out. But um, it's just, you know, and yes, it is good coffee, but it's just another way that I'm not going to drink that coffee that everyone else is drinking. I need to create something, push the envelope here a little bit. Well, what have you learned about um, our likes and our and being offended? You know, when somebody puts down what we like, or I mean, even I we were just talking about the Warriors game. Uh, with OKC, and I'm thinking, you know, if you put somebody's somebody's team down, that could be deadly. Yeah, this is where, you know, trying to change someone's t- taste or, or really their behavior at all is, is a big challenge. And I, I think about, I mean, I spent some time in the book. I went to the Great American Beer Festival and was talking to uh, judges of craft at this big craft beer competition and trying to, you know, and my father, just to use one example, you know, has always kind of liked your your Budweiser's, you know, kind of your... your yeah, your traditional, yeah. You know, light American pale lager. And at this beer festival, you know, you've got some pretty, you know, interesting, unusual stuff, very, very strong, distinct taste. And I was, I was saying, like, how can I... How do you, you know, sort of introduce this stuff to someone? And they were... One of the judges sort of gave, you know, gave me some good advice, which is, you know, number one, you don't just sort of bring a very hoppy IPA or some, some sort of, you know, very strong beer and slam it down the table <laughs> in front of my father and say, you know, drink this. Try that. Drink it. It's going to change your life. Because, <laughs> number one, he was probably just going to think it tastes weird because it doesn't fit his mental model of what beer is supposed to be. And right. Second thing is, as you, as you say, he's going to feel defensive. You know, like what you're saying, the stuff I've been drinking all my life is terrible, which, you know, maybe I am slightly, but I'm, try- I'm just trying to point him that there's another world out there. But like everything, so you need to kind of, you know, open the door slowly, and they, they, they refer to this as a gateway beer. You need something that's a little bit closer to what he's used to, but perhaps just a little bit mm. more adventurous. But, yeah, you, you just have to watch out for that sort of defensiveness trap because we we take these things seriously, these things that we... And why? Have. Why did you learn? I guess it's because our, it's our identity. It's We think it's who we are. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, my daughter was asking what my favorite color was because she was trying to figure out what her favorite color is. And at, at the age of six, you don't really know much about your identity, but you can start to form what you think are things that will create your personality so that they just reach for something like color. But the rest of us, you know, it goes on. And I mean, and some of these things are, I, I would caution, you know, they're, they're pretty surface sorts of things. And, and the example you can use here is, is online dating when two people are you know, looking to, when two people, you know, someone's trying to find a, a partner, a potential date, you have all these, you know, kind of surface interests you, you can write down. I mean, the studies on the success rates of those are, are not encouraging. It's just those things don't really seem to indicate hmm. much about the strength of a long-term relationship. It's, it's a lot of other things, and arguably it's, you know, my wife and I had have very different musical tastes, for example, but we were able to overcome that because there were you know, kind of deeper forms of compatibility going on. And, you know, in some ways it's a better test of a relationship if, if I can actually tolerate her musical taste that I hate rather yeah. than that, that we just automatically love the same thing. Um, so that's just, just one indication. And sometimes maybe your like changes simply because it's your wife, right? So now all of a sudden you might find yourself defending 
something that your wife like that might not have ever mattered to you or that you've that's always driven you crazy. But then when someone else puts it down, you're like, ho, 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 hold it. There are people that like that. <laughs> exactly. And plus, you're, you're going to be exposed to some of those likes no matter what. And this, this is just, I can't stress this enough, just, just from, with music, for example, just hearing something just mm. repeatedly, it will start to sink into your brain. And, and before you know it, I mean, I sometimes work in Brooklyn here at, at sort of coffee places. And, you know, this is kind of younger people than I playing music that is not necessarily what I would listen to, but it. It just it's in the back of my head all day, and sometimes I'll be reaching for my phone and opening Shazam to identify the song. Yeah, hey, it actually sounds pretty good. Isn't that cool? But <laughs> I mean, that's that's a but really again, that, that's a great. I love Shazam. For example, I did, went to a dance concert, um, a high school dance concert, and you know every fifth song was like, "Whoa, that's cool." <laughs> And I'd play it, and this old 47-year-old man's playing Shazam, or listening to Shazam to try to find new songs. But um, it's, I guess this is it. And what you're really trying to do, it sounds like in the book, is have us be more deliberate. Have us be more contemplative about what we like, what we don't like. Yeah, and, and your example is great, and I'm glad to hear you're the same exact age as I am, But um, <laughs> so, you, so you know my pain here. But, uh, you know, people of all ages, though, I mean, not just our generation or the baby boomers or millennials, I mean, they always think the music of their youth is better than right. being played now. And what's happening there, I think, is just kind of a, a memory bias where we only remember the really good stuff and we sort of filtered out all the bad stuff. So the comparison that was used to me was that your brain's almost like a jukebox playing the hits you loved. And, and also, you know, there is something about the age, there is kind of a sensitive period about listening to music where it really seems to have the most impact and we also have the most time to to listen to music and it, it helps form our relationships and that's kind of in that late teen period so i think that stuff really does hit a special sweet spot and it can be hard to overcome that and, and look and seek out new things because you're sort of thinking well why should why should i even bother i i like what i like so right what's the point is um have you ever heard the song sounds of silence that's that just came out the version that just came out by disturbed I have. Oh my heavens! Okay, so this is what you got to do, Tom, because okay. it was go look up "Sounds of Silence" uh, on YouTube and "Disturbed," because "Disturbed" is like a hard, hard rock. I don't even know what you call it. I don't know the genre, but it's rough. And um, uh, but then "Sounds of Silence," Simon and Garfunkel, which you know I was raised on, and it's just a piece of heaven. Then all of a sudden, you hear a rocker sing "Sounds of Silence," and it's honestly, it was it was amazing. It was incredible. And it put together a new like for me. Um, and I, all of a sudden, I guess that's, this, well, that's what this is about, is allowing a space in your life to evaluate why you, why you like what you like. And like you're saying, know, know some of the reasons behind it. There's, a, there's kind of a rationale that's going on as we're doing it. But, man, it converted me in a second to, to hearing my music played a different way, and it was amazing. And you bring up a great point with just the word genres that, you know, genres are one of these sort of filtering mechanisms I think we use to just try to sort out the world. And, and they really play a large part in our life to the, to the point where someone will say, you know, I do not like right. country music. I mean, just writing off the entire genre until they happen to hear something maybe in a, maybe in a film soundtrack or a, or a commercial that they don't even know it's supposed to be country, but <laughs> then they hear it in this without that genre label sticking at the top. I mean... When I, it's interesting, when I talked to the guy who founded Pandora, the internet 
radio service, he said that he, he wanted to, in the beginning, he thought, well, we should just give no information at all to the listener about what's playing, not the artist, not the genre, nothing, because this would help get past these expectations huh. that people have. People told him this was actually a dumb idea, and it, it didn't happen this way. But um, so, but just just the point that you know, it, you saw the word disturbed. You thought, yeah, oh, what is this? I what know, is that? <laughs> an alarm went off. Like, do not like, do not like. But, right. You know, uh, <laughs> it's powerful. Um, and we've got a, about one more minute. What was the? Uh, you've studied so much about our likes and our dislikes. Is there anything that just blew your mind? Any learning that you had that stood out as wow? I guess, you know, just, just again, the, the way so much comes from what, what psychologists call top-down. Like, we've, we've already made the decision before we've even had a chance to make the decision. That when, when, when you talk to prof- people who work in professional sensory tasting, these are people who have to evaluate food products. I would ask them, you know, do, do you like it? Do you not like it? And they said, we never use those words because just, just using those words would throw off our entire sensory mechanism in terms of actually tasting that product, mm. so it just it just it's like putting on a, a pair of sunglasses or something. It, it kind of blinds you to what you're actually uh, experiencing. So just, I guess, I, the, the appeal here is just to be more you know open-minded. It's not that not that you're still not going to think some things are better right. than others, but to not do this discounting ahead of time that we so often seem to do. Good stuff, Tom Vanderbilt. Appreciate it. Uh, great work again. You may also like is the name of the book, Taste in the Age of Endless Choice. Go to TomVanderbilt.com to get more information about all of his books and his uh, all of his recent tweets as well. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Keep up the good work. Great advice. Uh, don't just stay. Just remain open. I mean, there there might be part of it you like, or at least you experienced it, right? Sometimes having a like or a preference, if you've actually experienced other things, might be even more valuable of a like. Anyway, interesting. Also, we probably ought not beat everybody up for their likes and dislikes either. Stick with us, folks. Interesting stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, and our lessons from Tom Vanderbilt's book, You May Also Like. Uh, It brought up an an interesting, um, I think, problem a lot of us have when we are dealing with, um, with likes or dislikes. One of my beliefs is just because you have a preference, right, doesn't mean that it it has to be that way. And I learned this with my kids, um, that they can have a preference for what they want, but it doesn't mean we always choose that preference. Everyone can have likes or dislikes, and when it comes down to it, we we need to figure out how to maybe try new things. Um, Maybe that won't work for us today. My wife and I have learned a crazy little secret with our own kids that sometimes it's better to not tell them what we're doing. Because the minute we make an announcement about what we're doing, everyone's going to have an opinion. And with six kids and one of them married with a husband and a grandchild, we don't have time, I guess, to make it perfect for everyone. 
So we always try to just instill the idea that let's just try it, right? We can try it. If you don't like it, we don't have to like it. If you push too hard on people to try stuff, a lot of times you'll just create an immediate rebellion. If you if you don't push hard on people to try stuff, then they're never going to learn what else is out there in the world. So there's a fine balance, isn't there? And any parent knows there's a fine balance to getting their child to do something, to try something, but also do it in a way that we don't want to destroy the game. It's the balance of, uh, you know, the goose and the golden egg, Aesop's fable, that you want to keep getting results in life, but you've got to do it without destroying your ability to get results tomorrow. Any parent can get something to happen today. I can get my kids to eat their vegetables. But if I get it, get them to eat their vegetables in a way that uh, actually hinders my ability to do it next time, then I'm becoming less and less effective. Our goal is to be able to be effective long term, to be able to get results today and be able to uh, get them again tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And uh, Tom's work uh, in the example he was giving about, uh, you know, his getting his father to try a new drink or a new beer or a beverage, it's uh, it's probably very appropriate for all of us to learn. If we want to get people to try new things, then you probably need to model it that, hey, this this does this does well. For, for you, they, they can see that it, it offers you an opportunity and maybe start where the people are. It doesn't mean that they even want to change their beverage choice, but you can at least offer it. And if you're offering just a taste of something else, you might want to take it, folks. I'm, I mean, I know we all kind of fall in, into our entrenched stubbornness at times, but if somebody offers you a chance to try something different – Try it and know that there's nothing lost here. Just try stuff. Try it. We don't need to revert back to the, you know, the five-year-old that's not going to open his mouth to try anything new. When you're, you know, when you're 45, you can just choose to try some new things. And amazingly, my trying and, and tasting of sushi 10 years ago changed my life. Thank you. Thank you. Changed my life, folks. But for 35 years, I had said, nah, I don't eat raw fish. That's just horrible. It's choice, folks. Don't force choice. Choice is inevitable. Just create a great space where it's worth trying. And it's easy to try. And it's easy to fail as well. That's it. We'll take a break, folks. Back next hour. More tools to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of uh, Fun Fest. Is that what you're calling it? Yes, that's what we call it every day. Fun Fest. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives because you didn't get a handbook when you were born. So today and every day, we fill in the blanks. The stories, 
the information. Like today, we've taught you about Licky, the great Kickstarter to lick your cat. If you There's want, just no point to in socialize. existence where I looked at an animal. I, I really would enjoy that sort of a connection with my cat. You don't want the social. <coughs> I just the hair, social bonding. Hairballs alone. Come on. Look, it sounds like Ben's working one out right now. <laughs> he is. The you you want to you want to connect to your cat and uh, licky cat. Scratch it behind the ears or something. Come on. It's just a giant silicone oh. tongue. That you can put in your mouth like a binky with a long tongue and just lick your cat. It's a brush. So it's something you you put in your mouth. You put you put the you put like a mouth guard in and then yeah. you work the tongue. No, no. That's just weird. <laughs> but your your tongue is clean and clear from any cat right, hair or right. dander. But still. But the bonding experience is still had by all. Do you really want to bond with your cat, though? Yeah, people I, that have cats love I don't, bonding. I don't think it works the same way. You know what? Just get a laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to love those. So, yeah. Cats love laser pointers. Um, we, will, <laughs> we will be talking about that, of course, during the hour. Also, today, uh, Julie Nelson will be joining us. She is the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and uh, Honey, Grab the Plunger. 25 tools to help you parent your children. Um, also, we'll be getting to those that information as well. Plus, BYU Sports Nation, of course, we're going to find out what's going to be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. But first and foremost, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? Thanks, Matt. California Governor Jerry Brown announced this morning that he will support Hillary Clinton in the state's upcoming primary on June 7th. This is a surprise to some. Because Jerry Brown and the Clintons have not gotten along with each other yeah. in the past. He ran against uh, Clinton in 92. There's lots of videos posted of some very testy exchanges back and forth on policy. So that's interesting for uh, for the election there. Also, Bernie Sanders has come up with a new nickname for Donald Trump. What? Mr. Macho. Really? Mr. Macho? Mr. Macho. This this coming from, uh, if last was it last week? Uh, Trump was on the Jimmy Kimmel show, yeah. and Jimmy Kimmel proposed uh, that. Uh, what about a debate with uh, with oh. Bernie Sanders? Because Hillary Clinton will not debate Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. and Trump at first said yes, and he said if he pays me enough, and then switched to okay, let we'll make it a charity, and then we'll do this, and then the next day Bernie Sanders was like, "This is great, let's do this." Actually, two networks, CBS and ABC, actually started negotiating like a it. price. What would oh, this be like? See. And then Trump backed out because he's like, what's the point? Because there is no point. Yeah, Joe Cannon said that may be his biggest mistake lately is he should have just taken it on. So what he says was, so I say to Mr. Macho that I am open to a debate any time, any place here in the state of California, hopefully before June 7th. Yeah, we got to hurry. Macho. By the way, Mr. Macho seems like a positive Yeah, name. it doesn't quite go as, you know, Little Marco, Lying Ted. Crooked Hillary. Crooked I Hillary. I think it's how you say it. Mr. Macho. Still, but, I but with the Bernie Sanders accent. Oh, right. yeah, that's I can't point. really do that. Well, as he calls it, this big, brave, macho guy. That's kind of how he puts it. So, uh, If Americans don't pick Donald Trump as the nation's 45th president, they'd better have their life jackets handy. Retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson warned on Fox and Friends this morning. Unless Republicans rally around their presumptive nominee, Carson said the country is headed straight off a 167-foot-high waterfall. Wow. Not sure why the 
height is so specific, but <laughs> Americans right now, it's like a cruise ship that is about to go off Niagara Falls with a tremendous carnage and death, Carson said. What you have to do first is recognize the problem, stop the ship, turn it around, and then move in the other direction. Anyone considering a third-party run, Carson warns, needs to give up and back Trump. <laughs> so, positivity all around there. Gary uh, Johnson. Gary Johnson is your libertarian yeah. nominee for the president. He's got a great – he's got a – He's a he's former a, he's New Mexico governor. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, the, the, the convention they had over the weekend had a lot more media attention than past years. The last cycle, they said they had 12 media credentials that okay. were issued. Yeah, that's it. This year, 250 media credentials because the libertarian could be an option if See? people don't like See? the two – there you go. Major party candidates. Uh, an Arizona man trapped in his crashed vehicle on a central mountain area in Arizona for three days might never have been rescued if not for a couple taking sightseeing photos. Authorities said on Saturday, police chief in the area said that 50, a 50-year-old man's purple SUV was spotted Friday afternoon by a couple who had pulled over on the road and spotted the SUV overturned. The guy was in there for three days. Oh, my heavens. They found him. He's in the hospital. Thank heavens. Recovery. That's cool. And in a story that... Kind of scary. Yeah, this is. But a I scary... thought I'd share for a, a public service, as we do here and, on the show, and a parenting service out of Florida, right? Of course, Florida police say they found two alligators snacking on human remains in a canal Monday night. Although the body appeared to have been in the water for a long time, the cause of death is unclear. Officers armed with AR-15 stood by in the town of Southwest Ranches near Fort Lauderdale while the alligator trapper worked to separate the animals from the body. It was reported to recover around 10 p.m. A wow. spokesperson for Florida Fish and Wildlife says it's too soon to know if the alligator killed the victim. Taze it. Well, what? Do they think the victim just... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Do, and so somebody's missing. Somebody's missing. In that area. They're not sure who. Have you seen Vic? And they're not sure what circumstances led to what oh, they found. Oh, that is just tragic. He was playing with the alligators a couple nights ago. <laughs> Apparently. He just went out to feed the dead, the bad chicken to the alligators, and we haven't seen There's since. quite a few alligator attack stories going on. So oh. I think wildlife are rising up. Yeah. Against us. Uh, for Just sure. watch. We had the monkey on the back of that guy. If I were, yeah. We're not sure if that was by choice or was it attacking the guy so he went 112 miles an hour or whatever he was doing? Yeah. We don't know these you facts. You don't know. You don't know. We just know that they stopped him because he was speeding. This is pro- This is the problem with the media today. They don't give you all of the facts. More details. we got to know. Um, apparently, celebrities are really big into getting a bathing suit hmm. photo taken. Hmm. Floating on an inflatable swan. Hmm. Because there's just a list of just a million. Kendall Jenner, all the Jenners, the Kardashians, they're all, they all have pictures of them floating on swans. Do you follow them often? No. Is that what you're admitting why, here? Or here's what? why I bring it up. Okay. And Amy Schumer, mm-hmm. which is a, who's a woman that I don't follow mm-hmm. either, um, she's a comedian, but she's pretty risque. You know, she's, she's not one I'd normally follow. She has a really funny video of her showing the proper way to get out of a swan, out of an inflatable swan, there's, so you don't look ridiculous. She's trying to say there's no real graceful way to do it, but yeah. she may have a, uh, an angle that you can There's an angle, and we're, we'll post the video on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. It's just the graceful way to, ex- to exit any inflatable pool, de- you know, pool, I don't know what you call it, apparatus. 
if you've got an alligator apparatus that you've popped up, you've blown up, I mean, and you've got to gracefully exit any floatable device, Amy Schumer will show you how to do it. There's really no way to do it. it no, of, she did it gracefully. She just roll off? It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can't tell you, but you're going to want to look it up. And you don't, don't go look at any of the other pictures because they're not worth seeing. Understood. You don't want to see any of these other people in – yeah, modeling with their swan. I understand. She she's she's about real life. She's she's about she's, how 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 people do this. Yeah, and it could be any pool animal. Don't get me wrong. Swan, swan, turtles, turtle pigs. If you got pigs, anything. You just but you need to know how to get off of it, and right. she'll show you gracefully and gracefully because <laughs> someone may be watching or filming or taking a picture. You're all about making life easier. Yeah, I'm here to I'm here right? to help. But for those people that don't follow our Twitter feed or aren't on Twitter, she just – she gets the swan. Hers is a flamingo. Yes. She gets the, the flamingo near the edge of the pool. Don't, don't, don't give it away. Well, but I'm worried that some people won't okay. be able to see it. Give it away. And then she just slowly just reaches and leans onto the side of the pool and then like in slow motion just starts rolling. And she rolls her way off of the flamingo onto the onto the pool deck. And then she rolls about four feet away from it ever so slowly. With okay. her hat on and her cover up, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Okay. And she's stiff as a board. <laughs> it's fantastic. Anyway, um, I'm just doing that because a lot of people will be at the pool this summer. They will be. And you want to look good when you get in your flamingo and out of your flamingo. These are useful tools. You know what I mean? Um, that, there is that tragic story going on in Japan. Parenting Ugh. 101. So they had a boy. I think he was 11. How old was he? Seven. Seven. Mouthing off, throwing rocks at cars. Car. And the parents were like sick of it. And, and they drove by this forest. And they pulled one of these "Don't make me pull over" things that parents do. Yes, and they basically just, I think, pretended like they were going to drop the kid off at the forest. It's a dangerous forest because there's bears in the forest. The story I read says it's infested with bears, <sighs> and they're not small bears. No, and so they basically stopped, told the kid to get out of the car. We're, we've had it with your bad behavior. Then they drove down. Then he, he sh- they shut the door and he drove. They drove away. What five hundred feet or something? Teaching him a lesson, and then they came back, and he's missing. And there's now a 180 person search party trying to <sighs> find this child. And at first they lied about what they did. The parents did they? They just said he was missing, and then after being questioned for a while, like, yeah, okay, we dropped him off to punish him and. So there's no word on where that's going to go. Right. They're trying to find the kid first. Which any, any parent it would be terrified of that because they've all – every parent's threatened to do something like that. Like don't make me give you the – send you to this cop right here. It's been raining. Temperatures around 44 degrees. Mm, sad. Yeah. Sad, sad, sad. So, um, you know, not to not to be a downer but – we're trying to give you all the news. Did you hear about uh, this? This, this uh, what's it called? A robbery? I don't know what you call it. All I know is it's against the Eighth Commandment. Hmm. But, uh, police say two men were caught flouting the Eighth Commandment 
when surveillance video captured them stealing nearly $500 worth of Bibles. <laughs> From a Christian store. Is that is that the chime that plays when they open the door mm-hmm. and walk in? Wow. Yeah, and then, and then the evil laugh. Yeah. Like, Images wow. shared by police show the men lifting eight Bibles from the mm. Morningstar Christian store on April 23rd. Mm. Police have not identified the men and asked that anyone who recognizes them from images uh, that, from the images they posted to contact police. These are people, obviously, mm-hmm. infidels. Okay. Right? They stole the Bible, yeah. They, they're not honoring the thou shalt not steal commandment. Mm. Plus, just loving your neighbor what if they're <sighs> handing the Bibles out? Maybe maybe they're just good Christians looking for a Bible. But aren't there free Bibles in a lot of other places? Well, if they hotels, wanted a Bible. They're in hotels. Steal it from a hotel. <laughs> I think it's actually Plus surveillance. Isn't that a gift? Don't they don't they want do the Gideons want you to take they probably don't want you to take the Bible out of the It might be uh give a Bible, leave a Bible type of uh yeah, concept. Like that. <laughs> I don't like my Bible. Just switch it out. So, and by the way, if you're buying a Bible out of the backseat of a car or the mm. trunk of a car, I'm going to bet they're hot Bibles. <laughs> That's a red flag. Yeah. You don't want to buy a hot they're Bible. They're hot Bibles. Get your hot Bible here. Yeah. That's sad. What's happening to this world, folks? Are you serious? You can't even just leave the Bibles alone? <sighs> These kids nowadays. Coming up next, Julie Nelson will be joining us. We are um, going to be talking about the harm of spanking. Should you spank your children? Well, it's better than leaving them, that poor boy, by the bear-infested forest. What do you do, folks? Parenting 101. Our bomb mom is joining us up next, Julie K. Nelson. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with this Julie K. Nelson, also known as the Bomb Mom or the Child Whisperer. She's a wife and uh, a mother of five children and uh, author of two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and uh, get the, Honey, Get the Plunger. You said Honey, Get the Plunger earlier in the show, and I laughed. Because it's called Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Keep it, Honey... Grab the plunger for real and keep it that way. Grab the hammer and hit the hits over the head. It's a great title, and but if I don't have it in front of me, it never works. Yeah, twenty five tips for surviving parenthood. By the way, have you ever tried to get out of a an inflatable in a pool gracefully? Uh, yeah, it's the rollover effect. Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's super hard. You got to do that. So um, you today that we're going to talk to us about parenting because it's hard to discipline, and I think some parents think, well, we'll just spank. Just spank them. Mm-hmm. That's what our parents did with us. And then that tragic one in Japan where the parents tried the old, hey, don't make me leave you with, with the bears. by the side of the road. With the bears. In the forest, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. So what what are we supposed to do? Are well, we supposed to spank? I to mean, spank or not to spank, that is the question, yeah. right? Because I, how many years have I been on this show, Matt? 30. Yeah, at least. 
And I've been, avoiding, I've been avoiding this topic because I'll tell you what, nobody wants to talk about spanking because right. it's all our, you know, our default button. It's, what, it's how we, yeah, we but were we, raised. But none of us really want to talk about it because it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm at my worst when I spank. And so yeah. probably I'm doing damage to my kids and we all feel guilty about it after we do it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I haven't really wanted to talk about it, but there was some new research that came up just in um, the Deseret News on May the 7th that I wanted to bring up because it's about a meta-analysis it was published in the journey, Journal of Family Psychology. Lead researcher Elizabeth Gershoff from the uh, Department of Human Resources and Family Sciences at University of Texas. And there's 160,000 children that were that was over a five decade analysis. So wow, that's pretty a good big study. sample Deep. size. Yeah. And she says at the end of this article, she says that with that sample size, it's produced very very consistent. Um, findings that are very consistent in psychology. So we kind of have to trust it because it's a meta-analysis of a lot right. of research. Bottom line, what do you think? Shouldn't Matt? spank. Did you spank your kids? Uh, it depends on the day. Mm-hmm. I, I spanked my young – when I was younger parenting, mm-hmm. I would – I wouldn't spank them. But when I was really upset, I'd swat them and then that ended up stopping. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, once I learned more of the research, it's it actually came down to a conversation with my wife. She's like, why do you spank? And other than they're evil, because I they need to learn something. They need to learn it. They need to learn it now. And it created this intense experience. It, it was a stopping point uh-huh. for the behavior. But mm-hmm. but what I realized is I was only – I was never doing it proactively. Mm-hmm. I was reacting because they almost got killed. <laughs> so I'm now about to kill them. Yeah. It's so I never felt right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too, Matt. I think we're in the same you know yeah. camp because um, when I had my first child, you know, again I you know would spank on occasion. Yeah, and and I'm studying at the same time. I'm doing education the skills, and research right. and stuff at the same time that you were, and you're learning other th- options. And you're, that's the key. That's the thing. Yeah, is that we think it's like really the only thing because that's what was passed down to us right. from our parents, and we turned out okay. You know, and so what this meta-analysis found was that she said spanking was related to less of all the good things we want for our kids. It's not significantly related to compliance. Yeah. It did not make children more or less likely to comply. It doesn't achieve what parents want, which is compliance and acting appropriately in the future. So she considered 17 different possible outcomes from spanking, and it was concluded that an open-handed swat on the child's behind or extremities did not correlate with better behavior. Mm-mm. But it did correlate with higher levels of aggression, anxiety, and depression, and lower scores in school. Which amazingly, my first three kids had. But that's the problem. My first one challenged me a lot, and so I would do that you know, when he was younger. And then I realized there's other things I could be doing better to teach yeah. rather than just stop behavior. Exactly. And that's what spanking does. It stops, but it doesn't teach. And so I want to talk – and I, I want to kind of maybe do some – Later on the show, a little bit more, yeah, buts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, speaking of buts, yeah. Uh, you know, and with my second child, I thought, you know, this just isn't working. I stopped spanking at that point. I don't think I really ever did it much after that. I mean, maybe a well, handful did, of times over the last 10, twenty years. But you feel worse after. Mm-hmm. So if if it's a proper discipline, mm-hmm. it shouldn't make destroy you, you and mm-hmm. make you feel horrible. It should be 
productive and make right. you feel better. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about um, is it a poor parenting practice? Why? And then is there good or is there good ways to do it and bad ways to do it? And we'll, okay. we'll do that. Okay, great. Okay. So um, first of all, is it a poor parenting practice? I say it could be because it, if you do it in anger, it's kind of like the, the hypocritical scenario where you have a child who's hitting their brother yeah. and then you spank him and go, quit hitting your How brother. How does that feel? <laughs> It's horrible. A little hypocritical, it's right? It's lazy. In a way, it seems it's like it's lazy parenting. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're choosing it out of five other choices and you've actually said, oh, the best choice in this one is for me would to, hit my to child? inflict some pain. Yeah. Yeah. That would, to me, be a little different. You probably would never come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. If you're, you're thinking. But see, the yeah. problem is, is, and why what I want to say the bad spanking is, the bad way that we do it is we do it, like you said, as a reaction. And we do it out of loss of control. And so I say when we do it out of loss of control, it is a, it's a bad thing in that situation because it tells your child that you are not in control anymore as a mm-hmm. parent. They need to know you're in control. That you're at loose ends. I don't know what else to do with you. And that's a very unnerving message to give to a child that I don't know what I'm doing, so yeah. I'm just going to start lashing out. And that's very scary for kids oh. to see a parent like that. Well, they also, I guess it gives them liberty to think, oh, that's what I guess I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we become enraged, then we just start swatting people. Mm. And so, um, you know, not only do they feel the pain of the SWAT, but they fear the fear of the adult who's no longer acting as a protective uh, um, right. disciplinarian. Right. And disciplinarian doesn't mean hit. Disciplinary means teach. Yeah, be disciplined. Right. right. So swatting a child is often done as a reflex or a frustration, mm. and you don't know what else to do at the time. It's done out of anger. So spanking becomes a signal that the parents are angry and the child is one. Because another right. child yeah. who wants to get you to that point and push you over the edge and then sees you lose control and start spanking goes, ha, I got them. You know, so really, a child who's kind of more defiant, you really have lost the battle, lost the war and yeah, the battle. Yeah. Um, so it, it also signals that you have no more rational ideas. You've <laughs> just resorted to corporal punishment. Um, what's there to learn? Only that I'm afraid of mom and dad, or I've got them to, you know, yeah. lose it, and that's kind of a triumphal experience for a child, or else a fearful one. So it, part of it is how do you define spanking? Number one, listeners, we got to remember that. Those that I think come with those bad negatives we just talked about, those negatives in research, it's be- I, I, I believe it's because they use it consistently and no other yeah, that was the viable only approaches. And also other negative parenting practices, a lot of belittling, mm. a lot of yelling. Corporal punishment is where I'm think- of thinking more. So define spanking. Yeah, there's the, there's the bad spanking where it's done out of anger, frustration. Um, you do it out of stress. You hit where you're teaching your child, like you said, grow up. When you lose it, just start hitting things. Right, right, right. Also, they pick up objects. Bad spanking means you start picking up objects and using that on their body. Oh. Um, so let's also you know, define – because there's so many different definitions of what is spanking. Do you yeah. get your belt? Is that spanking? To Let some parents, dad, yeah, when dad gets home, yeah. he's going to get the belt. Now, that's a bad that's, – I would say that's a bad spanking, not a good practice at all. Right. Um, yeah, always, yeah, a device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not that. Definitely not that. It's always bad if you react by spanking rather, like you said, than acting rationally ahead of time. Um, don't do it also. I think bad spanking is under two years old. Um, and we should not be hitting an 18-month-old or one-year-old. Yeah, right. And then after 10 years old, research researchers have showed, and I also want to bring in um, a great book called um, To Spank or Not to Spank by John Roseman, Dr. John Roseman, who says after 10, don't be spanking. Um, because if you're t- if you're spanking your teenagers, then something's gone wrong. Some, well, <laughs> um, that can go sideways fast. I mean, 
your teenage. I mean, when you're telling your 18 year, when I get home, <laughs> yes. you bring me my belt. He says spanking has no effect over that age and does not likely cause significant. It, it does cause significant resentment. It's not the spanking that's caused the problem. However, it's the history of inadequate or ineffective parenting. Totally. At that point, if you're resorting to spanking with your 15 year old, <laughs> you've done something wrong at that point because that's they so are true. they are able to reason through a lot, mm-hmm. and there should be a lot more um, other types of parenting going on. At that <laughs> Plus, point. they're a lot harder to put over your knee. Exactly. They can run faster, right? They can. <laughs> Holy cow. Spanking That's also, a bad, bad spanking is also not, should not be coupled with humiliation or yelling or belittling. A lot of parents do it and then they say very punitive right. things as well. You are naughty boy, bad, bad child kind of thing. They're or shaming. they shaming. And especially if you spank in public, very humiliating. Uh. So those are, these are all the bad ones. Well, and it seems like it's a sign that it's bad is that it won't work mm-hmm. in 10 years. So if the method won't work in 10 years, then you'd probably need a better method, right? I mean, I don't know. There's got to be a better way. Hopefully you've got a better answer. Yeah. So we're going to come back and talk about good good spanking when we do do spanking. Is there a good way? Yeah. If you, I mean, if you, if, yeah, if, if. If, if you have to. Yeah. And if not, just do what we do with Ben. Taser. Put him in timeout. We put Ben in timeout. Ben, this kid's been in timeout a long, long time. We'll take a break, folks. More with Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com to spank or not to spank. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Julie Nelson's in studio with us. She has a great website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She also has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development and teaches classes at uh, Utah Valley University in marriage and applied parenting. Today she's teaching us about uh, parent or spanking. And the latest research says it doesn't, it's not a great method. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. It's a method. It's just not a. It's not one that will pay dividends long term. Yeah, it doesn't give you the long term compliance that you'd think you would yeah. get. You get some immediate results, but there should be other things going on, and and we don't use it as our first line of defense every right. time. And it yeah. seems like that's what happens: is we mm-hmm. well, we were spanked. Corporal punishment. It's good. It's in the Bible, <laughs> I guess. And. Um, I don't know. I look at it more like I never felt good doing it and I didn't – my kids never looked up to me after I did it. So we probably need a better way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some bad – we talked about last um, yeah, the segment bad. about the bad ways to, to spank. Let's also talk about that it's not good with certain children. You know your kids and some of them you just have to give them the stink eye, the sideways yeah, lens yeah. and that's all they need. That's it. And so, you know, you'd kind of have to decide, is this right for this child as well? And some maybe push it a little bit farther and you need to maybe hold them to a little bit more accountable and mm-hmm. stop the, you know, this, if you have a spitter or, a, you know, someone, you really have to like stop in the moment. Yeah. Um, but most kids really just need a little bit more of the, I'm disappointed in you and there's some consequences yeah. that are going to happen. And a and real in, consequence. Internalize it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, if we spank, it's more like shooting a, a sparrow with a cannon. Yeah. You know? But you got it. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. But there's so many other options. Um, 
So let's talk about、um, the difference between corporal punishment and brutal beating, and which really does have negative effects, folks. It really does, and we want to use objects as well to hit them with. And then what could be not so、um, damaging to kids, and what could help in the moment. And John Roseman, and his he's a he's a doctor psychologist who wrote this book to spank or not to spank, and he brings in some other research that kind of. Shows that it's not such a bad thing. In fact, it could be helpful at, at times. In a situation, so we don't feel so guilty. Yeah.、Um, but he talks about what you can do to make it effective, and one is that you should explain to the child they should be spanked only as a way to provide immediate halt to an unacceptable behavior. It's a way to say stop, listen. Yeah, that's what I, I always wanted more immediacy. Yeah, it's just to stop, listen. So you would say like,、um, uh, you are not allowed to speak to me or your father like that. Mm-hmm. Little swat, swat, little swat. Now we're talking little swat with an open hand. He and says, on the on the bum, but, and but one、talks. one little hit, one to、right. two. He says, but we're not doing the beating all the way and wait till your father gets、yeah. home and using a belt. Which, by、stuff. the way, why do they keep waiting for the father? I thought we were equal. <laughs> Come on, moms. And then we use some kind of a, a consequence with them and talk through their behavior and what, what why they did it、yeah. and how they can change their behavior in the future. So those are that's the teaching, that's the discipline. So you can say that、um, no, you will not spit at me, swat. Yeah, you know.、Um, Just to stop that behavior, a little, little jarring. Yeah, sure. Because kids get a little bit so emotionally flooded that we have to kind of just call their attention to, whoa, slow, slow、yeah. down. Get it, get that in, in that moment, and then redirect them, and then yeah, then you can go calm them down and talk and try to convey the yeah, lesson. Yeah, but it should never be done where you've lost complete control and、oh. you become a raving lunatic. Right, right. When you become a raving lunatic, especially in public, it, there's a lose lose. And that's the problem. You're embarrassed because your child's doing something crazy、yeah. or silly. And then your embarrassment leads to more embarrassment. Yeah, and we would never say, "Wait till you get home; you're going to get a thrashing,"、mm. because then that is just a fearful factor.、Right. Like in public, you go home, and then we say there's going to be consequences. We're going to talk about what you've done, because at that point, we can go home and do it、um, in a thinking, rational way,、yeah. rather than wait till you get home and then I'm going to thrash you. That doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, we're not. It's not Singapore. <laughs> we don't have to cane them. Exactly.、Right. Yeah. So three canings. Yes. Oh my goodness! So in the moment and not in public, if we need to just stop them from escalating,、right. just to call their attention. One, he says, and then he says、um, again.、Um, there are there is research research that shows that it can be appropriate. He talks about Robert Lazeri, who's from、um, a psychologist at Oklahoma State University, and Don, Diana Baumrind, who's like my. Idol at UC Berkeley, who 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 did the classification of parenting styles,、um, Barman did this, and she talks about that authoritarian parents is that's the that's the excessive parenting,、right. you know, the super high discipline, no warmth, and she says they use excessive control, power, and physical punishment to discipline kids, and that is characterized by having bad outcomes, like this research we just yeah, talked yeah. about, but authoritative. Is characterized by high level of nurturing, unconditional love, reasonably high re- expectations, respect for autonomy, firm discipline, and warmth and support. So that's consistently has be- better outcomes. And she shows from research that when that's used once in a while、yeah. with a little tap on the back、uh, and a sp- swat when needed、right. to call them back into line, no negative outcomes. Well, because you've also nurtured them, you've explained it. It's you know, they're educated, they feel close to you, they know they can trust you. Yeah, and they need to know and. 
kids get a little bit where they're testing the boundaries and they get they feel out of control with themselves. And if you rein them in, kind of like a little horse with a bridle,、right. and the bridle hurts a little bit, yeah, yeah. But you're not like whipping the horse; you're just doing the bridle and say, "Whoa, that、yeah. was you cross a line there. You do not speak to me that way." That child, it, it, it's healthier. Yeah, the child respects you and respects that you are helping them to stay in control. But it also, I guess, demands you. Have a plan and be skilled and in control. Yeah. So parents, if you didn't learn any other methods but spanking, it's time to start learning other things: how to discipline a child, how to problem solve, how to talk them through what if scenarios. If this happens, what will be the consequences?、Um, and and using spanking very very you know、um, yeah、uh, judiciously. Well, it's almost like it's more the spanking is the act, but there's a spirit behind it,、mm-hmm. and it's the spirit. If you're using it as an intelligent,、yeah. un- non-reactive way to move and educate a child, it works occasionally. I mean, it works in what moderation? Yeah. So, like, I like, I like the word occasionally.、Mm-hmm. I like I said, I could probably count on my right hand the number of times I've spanked since I decided. I'm going to use other methods, and、mm-hmm. it helps the kids to internalize things and what do they want to have outcomes in their lives, and instead of fearing me. Yeah, and there's some kids that, like you said, I have a kid that if you touch him like that, it's destructive. Oh yeah. But others that whatever, <laughs> it did not matter. <laughs> it's so true. Julie, you're the best.、Uh, everybody, go check out her website, a spoonful of parenting. dot com, and、uh, her many many books that are on the site that I've totally. One of them is called Keep It Real. And grab a plunger. Twenty-five tips for surviving parenthood. You're going to want that one. Julie, thanks. Thank you. Thank Keep you. up the great work.、And、parents, be careful. Be careful. You know, be informed. Be smart. Be proactive, not reactive, in your discipline. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to send it down to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What's up? What's up? How are you? Fantastic. How was your holiday? You know what? It was excellent. I climbed the mountain、uh, all the way up to the Y. Have you guys、uh, done that? Yeah.、Uh, I'm not sure I'll ever、How、do that again. That? I mean, it's, it's it's harder than it looks. It's a lot harder than it looks. It's like a hill. It's like a mountain. It's like a mountain, and two and a half mile round trip, and then you get up there, and all there is is a big white Y. It's funny because it's the perspective of going to it versus looking at it is very different. I, I I was trying to do it because the BYU football team they always run up there and have that contest every year. I don't know if they're still well, going they to do that. To,、yeah. But I realized, you know what? I probably wouldn't have played football. You know, I'm、just、more for that reason. Yeah, <laughs> just like the minute, the, even if I made the team, the coach would say, "Hey, let's run up to the Y," and I'd be like, "I'm, nope, I'm out. I'm good. Peace. I'm good. I that was not in my contract." <laughs> But so I did that, and then I just played ball at a cemetery. It was tons of fun. Like, Interesting. Apparently, that's not appropriate. Played ball at a cemetery. Well, I mean, as long as the field is open and yeah. You But know, you don't like, use tombstones or headstones as a base, stuff. right? No, we went to an open area, but it was in a it was in the cemetery. 
I have no problem with that. We just played catch with baseball. As long as baseballs. it's just open area. Yeah. No harm, no foul. Yes. I mean, I thought it was weird when, you know, it got a little out of control when we started the game. <laughs> <laughs> and we decided that, you know, first base was Brother Jones and his tombstone and third base would be, you know, the pile of flowers. Mm-hmm. It was bad. But good family time. <laughs> In that's in what the, matters in most. In the end, anyone can justify anything. That's but ex- it was family time. But it was good family time. What did you guys? You did a hit and run. Most. But it was family time. Well, I'm sure you guys had barbecues because in your wonderful backyards. I did not have a barbecue. I did have a picnic, however. Where? In Brigham City, Utah. If you've ever been there, I've been there. Spent a week there one night. You, you spent a week there one night. <laughs> yeah. It was that bad. It huh? was- Tons of fun. No, it's, it's awesome place. It's a beautiful town. It is beautiful. What did you? And you just had a little picnic. Yeah, family get together. Played uh, with the beach balls with uh, the little kids. Yes, because yeah. your kids are younger. It was fun. Did anybody get hurt? Did anybody cry? Oh yeah, my four year old had uh, three or four meltdowns. <laughs> so did my eighteen year old. It never like ends. Never, never ends. And uh, Jerem, what did you do? If you can talk about it, uh, had a had a great time. You yeah. okay? So you were barbecue. You were, went to the park, hung out. Yeah, it was great. You Watched were you seven. were serving time. Yeah. Is that what you had to? Do? You had to go in to fulfill your obligation to society. <laughs> you had to check in luckily, with the probation luckily, officer. Luckily, no, I will not stand <laughs> for this defamation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I've got a new business. I want to know if you guys want to invest in it. The answer is no. What do you mean no? When you say what do you mean no? This when you say no, what do you never, mean? Never been asked. Yeah, um, it's you j- just let me just tell it to you, and you can. It's it's on Kickstarter. You guys can invest if you want. It's called um, it's called <laughs> it's called Licky Brush, <laughs> and it's um, it's a brush that you use to help you bond with your cat, and you put it in your mouth, kind of like a mouth guard, and it has a tongue hanging out of it with like hair things then you can comb your cat's hair oh. in a licking motion no thank you <laughs> when will this appear on shark tank you know what i'm sure never <laughs> but if it doesn't make shark tank it's not worth investing in i think if you guys there's 212 backers 35 dollars each so these guys are making a lot of money but you can if, if that's if you want to be the you know the high end backer. Oh my heavens, they're going to make it. 615 people have given $19. 615 people have given $19. Yeah. No, this is this is going to happen for these guys. This, so far they have pl- pledged $25,000 for this thing. <laughs> they wow. have 26 days to go. There are enough cat people in the world to make this happen. It is the weirdest. It it it's just strange. But it does bring you closer to your cat. Well, and I'm not I'm not going to make light of the fact that some people will. need animals to be happy. Oh, absolutely. Okay, that you're right. That's serious. and <laughs> what, let me ask you this: Do you think it's Seek a, human relationships? They they first. say they say if this goes really well with just domesticated cats, they may um, have industrial sized licky brushes to for people to do at the zoo. You could go to Costco. Yeah. Nope. You get a eight pack groom and they're, they're going to start a groom a tiger program how'd that work out for the tiger trainers in las vegas exactly 
Exactly. See, well, I'm going to say no on that. I knew you were going to bring up Vegas because you always do. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. That really is a horrible story. It's a horrible story. <laughs> um, I, I, we, we will post the video, though, of just four wonderful parents grooming their cats mm-hmm. with licky brush. Compelling and rich. <laughs> hey, um, by the way, what you guys are doing your show, right? You're still going to do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just looked at the board here about the – about where we post all of the sports for BYU. and Getting a little dry up it's there. Kind of a, it, it is a dry erase board. and the tumbleweed going through the halls of BYU Radio. So, so what are you guys going to do now? Oh, well, first of all, I can't believe you didn't bring up the Golden State Warriors, Oh, Matt. no, that was next. I didn't know if I had time, but That's yeah. your team. What do you okay, think? Okay, well, they have spurred today's conversation because they have not That's one, spurred. but two... <laughs> Clutch performers. Clay Thompson, game six. Yes. Win, essentially. Yes. And Festus Azili. Yes. Festus, by the way, one of the greatest, over, most overlooked names ever. And the most vinable player in the history of the NBA, Stephen Curry. Yes. I'm Not telling valuable, you. But in the words of Colin Cowherd, the most vinable. Vinable. Vine Green's becoming pretty vinable. <laughs> that too. That I, too. Love, I love vine. No, we, we're asking the question today. Okay, because of Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, those guys that hit big shots and clutch moments, who is the athlete at BYU you want with the ball mm. in a game on the line situation? Wow. Mm. In any sport? Any sport. Any sport. Well, that's got to be Tanner, right? He's Good the answer. He's the he's well, he's the big throw it deep, sell it cheap. It doesn't have to be Tanner. No, it has to be. But that is an option. Let me see. Is it Tanner? Yep. <laughs> it's Tanner. Nailed it. Tanner Mango. <laughs> Which is so Nailed weird. Them. I'm not usually that accurate. Am I usually that accurate? Is that what Tanner Mangum said after the Hail Mary? Yeah. Yeah. He said, <laughs> I'm not usually that accurate. Am, am I, I that, that accurate? accurate? Am I that accurate? <laughs> Mitch Matthews says. And Mitch Matthews said? And Mitch Matthews Sur- said. Survey says? And, and he said, yes. <laughs> I'm waiting for the ding. Oh, sorry. Um, I got it. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. By the way, right next to the ding. Yeah, perfect. The hernia yodel. <laughs> the hernia yodel. That's what that's labeled as. Oh my goodness, that's too good. That's labeled as the, the hernia, hernia yodel. yodel. That's too good. It's, it's really good. <laughs> and um, because I mean, it's it's popular. It's one of our most popular sounds. Hey, you're welcome, Matt Townsend oh, Show. Yeah, <laughs> um. So you're going to ask that question, and and what else? What else? Jordan is- Chapman, who is the smartest basketball player by far, he has his yep, ch- count it and count one it. and one. He's going to be in law school or business school this fall. He is going to be a junior academically. So how about that? Wow! He'll, he'll tell us how preparations are going over the summer. Mm, he is for killing. BYU it. hopes will be a national championship basketball team. Yeah, he needs. And to then slow Rena Chessman or uh, Chesser Chesser. Chesser. Who is a mother of four has qualified in the steeplechase? That's a three thousand cool. meter race where you jump into the water. Yeah, that yeah. One. She uh, will join us. How did she do that? That's, cool. That's amazing. And a that BYU is. baseball player calls his shot, Matt Townsend. Really? Mm-hmm. Like he, hours after? Did he point with the bat? Proverbially. Proverbial. Proverbially. Is that a word? I have no idea. Is that a word? Jerem, Jer- according oh. to the Jerem Jordan Dictionary, yes. Is it or is it proverbially? Proverbially. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's not either of those words. Whatever adverb you want to put. Proverbial. 
proverbially, symbolically, <laughs> metaphorically, <laughs> athletically, mathematically. Oh. <laughs> you guys, Rocky have you guys start. ever heard this one? No. Oh, BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh! Yeah, that's yeah, called. In fact, Jer- that guy's that, uh, in studio right now with the blue goggles. On. That's called Jerem Goat. <laughs> I like that. It's better than hernia. Yodel. Hernia yodel. They sound hernia very yodel. similar. Hernia yodel is perfect. Hernia I know exactly what. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, that's going to be a good show. I'm going to watch your show. Is, I'm going right? to go watch. Hashtag the right. cranberries. Right. It always is. Hashtag the cranberries. Zombie. Yay! Hey! Hey! It just gets weird. What? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Am I usually that accurate? You've been kicked out. <laughs> Am I that accurate? <laughs> Guys, have a great show. Thanks, sir. Knock them dead. So, Go shave, okay. shower, get ready for your show. It's May. It's Gotta rough. Eat my carrots. Rough. Eat your carrots. Yes, Make sure you floss carrots. after. No Ford in Studio B, Spencer. <laughs> they have the same rules down there that we have up here. No food. Yeah. It's a shame. But the drinks all day long. Hey, yeah, you've um, had fun with Diet Coke. Yeah, we love Diet Coke. Hey, um, um, great show. We've got to start wrapping it up, though. Let me give you two crazy stories bad boys, bad boys. in the bad boys category. New Orleans police are investigating an armed robbery of two men where the assailant walked away with only 35 cents. Uh Police say the robbery happened Wednesday morning in the city's Carrollton area. Police said the 33-year-old man and 29-year-old man were robbed by a man armed with a semiotic handgun. No one was injured. A police report gave no explanation as to why the perpetrator came away with such a small amount of money. 35 cents. Uh, just a little advice. Again, we like to coach the con a little bit. If you are a con man and uh, need some help, before you rob, there's a great biblical term that you should uh, measure twice and cut once, right? Find out ahead of time if it's worth the real charge, right? You don't want to be arrested for 35 cents. Ah, Not worth it. But worth it is this one. Deputies are looking for a suspect who stole more than $900 worth of razors from a Tampa CVS. Are you kidding me? That is crazy. And um, the surveillance photos of a suspect were released last week. According to deputies, on May 2nd, at approximately 12.47 p.m., the suspect entered a CVS store, selected a large quantity of Gillette razors worth $974, concealed them inside of his backpack, and then fled the store through the parking lot towards Dale Mabry Highway. Got away with $900 worth of um, – oh, that's crazy – Razors. So I don't know what you do with those, but be looking for a guy uh, in Tampa that's selling razors out of the back of his car. That's a bad boy right there for you. Hey, also, uh, as you know, we like to tell a hero story of every day. My, my hero today is Henry Heimlich, 96-year-old man who, by the way, invented the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah, he's still alive, and listen to how cool this is. Dr. Henry Heimlich reached his arms around a gagging woman's body and did what he does best. He grasped, grasped his left fist uh, in his right hand and thrust it quickly upward. It was 1974 when he invented the Heimlich maneuver. And now at age 96, he just used the Heimlich maneuver to save a woman's life. Uh, they were dining at the Dupree House, a senior living community in Cincinnati, Ohio, when he noticed the woman next to him started to choke. 
She had all the signs of choking because he said uh, her lips were puffed out. She obviously wasn't breathing, Heimlich said. So he sprang into action. And as more than 100 diners looked on, Henry Heimlich stood up and uh, spun the victim around, launched into his namesake technique. He placed his arms around her waist, below the rib cage, just above the belly button. Three presses, uh, pressed three times, bada boom, bada bing. She coughed out a piece of hamburger. Henry Heimlich saved her life, folks. He's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. By the way, saved probably thousands and thousands of lives because of that one simple little maneuver. That's the show. That's all you need to know. Let's go be like Henry Heimlich and keep going at 96, for heaven's sakes. Let's go be a hero to everybody. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch after each other, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.